Hey folks, Anthony here. Wanted to give you a short message before this episode. One, this episode is very long and we go on a lot of tangents. So whether it's in the YouTube video or in the description of the podcast below, I will provide timestamps uh, with various topics of conversation we have. So if you're not interested in one, you can bounce around because we do go we do go off on a few crazy tangents in this episode. And I know not all of them are going to be to everyone's taste to want to listen to us waffle on about a specific topic or another. Secondly, I would like to extend an additional large thank you to our guest, Greg Perry, and I would like to dedicate this episode on behalf of the Best Care Anywhere team uh, to the memory of Greg's father, Chris Perry, who passed away shortly before we recorded this episode. So if you have a drink with you or a smoke with you, uh, raise it up for Chris. And thank you again to Greg for taking some time to join us on the podcast. And I hope you had a good time with us, and I hope that we were able to Take your mind off things for a little bit. With that, please enjoy the episode. And now, direct from North Korea, here he is for the sixth hit week. Five o'clock Charlie, his airplane, and his astigmatism. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Best Care Anywhere podcast. I am your host, Anthony, and with me, as always, a man who makes me touch myself, usually by rubbing my temples in frustration. It's Ethan. (laughs) I want my stunned silence to tell the listeners just how deeply uncomfortable I am. (laughs) I, I read that today, and I'm like, that's the intro? That's the intro for Ethan. And... A little bit more appropriate of an intro, given the episode we're watching. Here he is, our guest, direct from Northern California, Greg Perry, his airplane, and his crippling cigar addiction. Greg, how are you? Well, Guy, thank you for having me on the program. And, uh, you know, uh, as you know from, from you know being the technical director on my show, the crippling cigar addiction is entirely true. This is a man who, when he learned his fa- one of his favorite cigar lines was no longer available for, or not no longer available, would no longer be manufactured due to a warehouse fire. I, I genuinely believe, Greg, that you are the biggest warehouser of Cadwell cigars right now. I uh, genuinely I believe that. I think, I've lost I think, count on how many boxes. Yeah, uh, yeah, the factory burned down. So anytime he sees Cat- Cadwell cigars for sale, he buys them. And he, how many, you've lost count? What was the last count you remember? 40 boxes. Oh, Lord. So you're telling so me that- the factory burned down and they ceased operations. Like, what's the problem? The cigars were going to get turned to ash one way or another. That's oh, true. No. That's a good point. But the, uh, it is, it, it literally is probably my number one or number two on my top five list. And, uh, the factory did unfortunately burn, but um, they were going to be discontinued at some point anyway. It just was way faster than any of us expected. And so, yeah, I um, was ruining people's lives on Cigar Bid, buying everyone I can get my hands on. So I, I, we might have to work out a little care package to Kansas so Ethan can try the last czar. And, okay, and, I can and, do and that. Then be, and oh, then be shucks. upset that they that you're eventually going to corner the market and extort him for everything he's worth. But well, in, I in have case... cornered the market, so yeah, he can he can pay up. Mind you, I'm worth three stolen road signs and a car that doesn't run. So, like, uh, that's his entire gonna... like liquid net worth right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept payment in road signs. That's fine. Oh great! Oh no! 
you, you have just launched Ethan on a rash of thefts that no no state trooper can stop. Uh, so legally, <laughs> I'm required to interject and say that they are not thefts. He's borrowing them. He'll put them back. So in case you guys hadn't couldn't tell, uh, our guest today is Greg Perry, one of the hosts of the Beyond the Humidor podcast, a cigar podcast for the rest of us. He, along with my dad and mutual friend Scott Robinson, sit around every week every other week talk about cigars with the same fervor and insanity that we talk about mash so those worlds are crossing today timelines are colliding plasmas are oozing and we're here now so and hope hopefully we'll try not to bore everybody oh like i said before we started recording we had to push this recording date back a little bit which gave me more time to do more research so i'm sure we will bore everyone but Let's be honest, the episode we're talking about today, it, I, we could talk about it for four and a half hours, and I don't think anyone could be bored, because this is a ridiculously funny episode. I agree. But before we get to that, just now that we've gotten the weird introductions out of the way, is everyone? how's everyone doing? It's, it's finally getting hot in California. Uh, per, per the tradition started at the very founding of this podcast, let me quickly do, we haven't done this in a while, is California on fire? Dot com. Yes, California is on fire. So, praise be, the status quo has continued. California's on fire. It's hot. I'll quickly ask uh, Ethan, because you shared some stories. Uh, did anyone blow their hand off uh, at 4th of July this year in Kansas? No, it got rained out. Okay, true, but you did, you did tell me, and I would like you to share for the podcast, what did you do in lieu of a large amount of fireworks? Uh, what? I, be- I believe, I believe you mentioned watching the crazy people that were still trying to launch fireworks in the rain, while also watching the ridiculous lightning storm. Is that oh, yeah, correct? Yeah, that 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 is true, and it's not really something that I can fully describe and you know have it do any justice. I'm just going to tell you guys that the, if there was ever a reason to go to the Midwest, it's to watch the lightning storms roll across the plains, and when you have these guys spend a month or two's worth of paychecks on fireworks they're gonna light the fuckers off it's it's not a matter of weather it's it's a matter of well uh bush light i suppose so just find yourself an overlook and enjoy it and don't blow your hand off and i think he's right that is the literally the only reason to visit the midwest um and that and i mean that's like a iffy reason let's be honest iffy so at best. At There's best. a reason they're called flyover states. You that that's your word. That's, call you. that's your what do you call us, Ethan? What 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 does the Midwest call us? Um mm-hmm. I I am not comfortable discussing those uh oh, the, no. the ACL has very strongly condemned the use of the words I frequently hear the Western states called. Oh my. Mm. The ACLU well, we, rather. The ACLU, there we go. Not the ACL. Um, well, we're just going to hop, skip, and jump right over that then. Um, so, before we delve into 5 O'Clock Charlie, that, again, the, the, the pros and cons of recording later are people have the opportunity to share things that I see and want to talk about on the show. So, Ethan and Greg, but mostly Ethan, because I know this will annoy Ethan the most. Remember how last week we t- talked about Tuttle? 
And then we said, you know, nope, season one's over. We're going to talk about season two and season one's in the past. So we're not going to talk about season one anymore. You son of a bitch. So Are we going to talk about Tuttle? So Edwina. Um, oh, no. <laughs> so this this article got shared by uh, one of the mutual people that I have found in the circle of MASH people online. This is the MASH historian. Uh, he, again, I've said this before on the podcast, I thought I was a nerd about MASH because I'm a millennial and had very, very few people as a reference to how nerdy you can be about the show. I, I, I am not even in the top 100. Like, there are... I don't even have words to describe how deep some people have gone and research and stuff for the show but this guy the mash historian he has archives of old letters old scripts uh some unused scripts interviews with cast members that are no longer with us that are super hard to find he's got all sorts of stuff over on his website and one of the articles that came out and i won't read the whole article because obviously you should go to his website and read the article and engage on his thing so that he gets traffic and eyeballs on his stuff, because, you know, that's how the internet should work. But I'll quickly mention, Edwina was going to be so much worse than it was. Uh, specifically, they did the table read for the episode, where, you know, all the actors sit around with the first draft of the script, and they basically play act the whole show. They read all the lines and stuff. And at the end, nobody said a thing. It was just pin drop silence at the end. And Loretta Swit eventually looked up and said, I won't do this show. And Larry Gelbart said, I understand how you feel, but remember, we're doing a show about 1952. And Loretta Swit looked at him and said, I would be uncomfortable with this even in 1952. Because instead of Edwina being a klutz, she was going to be grossly overweight. Which, I don't know if that's better or worse than what we eventually got. But uh, hard, yeah, just the hard part is, Anthony, we're looking through it through the lens of 2023. Oh, yeah. So 100%. the lens of 2023 makes me go, yeah, that would probably be way worse and way inappropriate. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And even then, the, the, the article and I'll, I'll put a link to it in the description of the podcast or the video of the podcast. But yeah, it's that that's just one of the changes they made. And that's obviously the most like glaring change. But uh, yeah. Uh, even even at the end of the article, uh, they mention a quote from Larry Gelbart saying, yeah, even with the changes, this is one of the episodes we're least proud of. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just to just to make Ethan uncomfortable, there's some more Edwina information for everyone. Ethan, you're very quiet over there. Hey, I don't have anything that I could possibly add that Greg didn't <laughs> say. Uh, you know, 2023 lens and... Of course, I'm the youngest one here. I I don't even have like oh well in the '90s. No, I just I I know no. my little sliver of time, and I can say, yikes. <laughs> That's literally. I saw this. I saw this article. How I saw it was through Twitter, and I literally retweeted it. Like oh, we're 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 talking about this on the next episode just to screw with Ethan. And then I read the article, and I just commented underneath. After having read the article, all I can say is. Yikes, as Ethan said. So, yeah. Thank you, MASH Historian, for furthering our... Distaste? Our, 
distaste for Edwina. Thank you so much. And again, every time I bring this up and say Edw- talk about the episode Edwina, I do always want to give the caveat that um, Arlene Galanka, fabulous. She was excellent as Edwina, but my God, that episode just confuses me. But anyway, on to other things, because weirdly, there was a lot of MASH news since our last recording. Uh, Jamie Farr has turned 89. Good for Jamie Farr. Yeah, yeah. Don't think about how old characters and actors from your favorite shows are, Greg. Don't think about Um, But yeah, he's still going strong. He and Loretta Swit still go out to like Comic Cons and conventions and stuff and meet fans and sign stuff and they're they're still kicking butt, so good for them. Uh yes. That that is the only reason I would go to a con. Dude, if no Ethan, no joke. If I found out that they were gonna be at Kansas City Comic Con or like even San Diego would be close enough, I'd be doing it. But San Diego or, or Sacramento's little comic convention they have, I would 100% organize a way to get you out there or me out there just to go. Just, I don't even want to like get some get something signed is like an, a bonus. I just want to look at someone from the MASH cast and just say like, hey, thank you. You're cool. You're awesome. This thing you did still affects me today. Praise be unto you and walk away. Like, that's all I want. <laughs> But, yeah. So, yeah. Jamie Farr, happy belated birthday. We're late to the party. Keep kicking butt. And it's so cool because even the Toledo Mud Hens have, like, adopted him and they even tweeted out happy birthday to him. He's he's their, quote, favorite son. The so. fucking the Toledo, the Toledo Mud Hens were at, and that's actually real, a real yeah. AAA ball club. Yes. So, Jamie Farr and the character he plays, Klinger, Again, Ethan, I for, I sometimes forget that you may not have all all knowledge. May. They yes. make they make Klinger very from Toledo. Like passionately from Toledo. Okay. He, he wears a mud hen's jersey through most of the back half of the seasons of the show. So Toledo he he loves Toledo and because of that, Toledo loves him. Like there's literally yeah. I saw someone posted a picture on his birthday on one of the MASH pages of there's like, I don't want to call it a memorial plaque, but because he, he's not dead. But there's a, in one of the parks, they have a little plaque dedicated to him and kind of explaining he's from this town. He went on to do this, this, this and this, most notably Klinger from Met. Like there's a little shrine to Jamie Farr in Toledo somewhere. And we're, we're eventually going to hear about his favorite eatery and a bunch of other places in Toledo that Klinger frequents are all real places. Paco's Hungarian Hot Dogs is still a real business today. Probably because he mentioned it on MASH, to be honest. Like, it's got, it gets a lot of foot traffic from people that are like, oh, hey, MASH. So. I yeah. don't know, though. I don't know if that's a reason to visit Toledo, but I'm in. I well, mean, if Ohio was a real place, maybe, but. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. No, most of, most, I think with the exception of uh, Hawkeye's character, most of the hometowns are real places because Crabapple Cove is not a real place, but it's based off a lot of coastal places in Maine. But yeah, uh, yeah. Ottumwa, Iowa, Mill Valley, all the place, most of the places we're going to hear about actually exist. So I totally don't have a road road trip to all the MASH hometowns saved in my Garmin GPS uh, base camp uh, future trips folder. Don't worry about it. Oh, no, um, I, I'm pretty sure you do. <laughs> I'm a hundred. Yeah, you don't want to know the mileage on that trip. Um, 
The only other non-specifically episode bits of news I want to talk about is I, it's gone around the internet for the last week and a half, and we're going to be the last people to talk about it just by nature of the fact we record every two weeks. So Alan Alda has hinted at it for a little bit on a couple of talk shows he's been on, but he announced a couple weeks ago that at the end of this month, he will be putting up for auction the boots and dog tags he wore for the entire series run as Hawkeye. And the, the money is going to go to the Stony Brook University Center for Communicating Science, which is something he is very passionate about. He f helps run that program and uh, promote it. But uh, yeah, there's not many props from shows or movies I would want. And weirdly, the boots and dog tags are not one of them because my dumbass should not have something that iconic or special in my possession. Because <laughs> my oh, dumbass would I just, lose them. <laughs> I just or, think about this going, I am too poor to be able to bid on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to know what the starting bid for the dog tags I read you is? You don't. You really you don't. don't. You really don't. No, by all means, please tell me how poor I am. Ten grand for the dog tags is what I saw. I don't know if that's confirmed, but the starting bid is 10 grand, which means, and Ethan mentioned this, they're definitely going to go for 25,000. I oh, bet if, if maybe more than that, I'd be willing to bet to top 100. Yeah, I I I bet they I bet they easily 50 to 70. De possibly 100, and I would bet there is a small sliver of a chance that some super fan who appreciates where the money is going also can easily drop 150 like I, without question it's just yeah. a matter of who who ends up bidding at the auction so yeah the the boots that have because you know they're a prop department thing they have the character's name in them hawkeye written in them uh the dog tags do not say benjamin franklin pierce they are from two uh gentlemen two different gentlemen who served in the latter half of World War II, and their dog tags just kind of got rotated into uh, the Fox prop department uh, after they passed away in the 70s. So no no special uh, Benjamin Franklin Pierce dog tags, sadly. But no, the, the Alan Alda has said in numerous interviews that he, he feels that he really gets into the character once he gets the, the outfit on, specifically the, the sh shoes of the character for some reason. So the, mm. the boots have very significant meaning to Alda, which that in and of itself and the stories he's told about keeping them for so long, just that makes them priceless to me. But the fact that they are, they're not one of 50 pairs, they're the pair. That's it. So, yeah, that's crazy. Um, which want, prompted me to want to ask the question to you guys real quick. Is there a prop from MASH that if you had, you know, a blank check, maybe not a blank check, because that gets crazy, but is if you could choose one prop for MASH to have, what would it be? That's easy for me. Oh? That's easy for me. There's actually two, and yes, I need a blank check at this point. Yeah. Um, uh -oh. I want the, um, the airplane we're going to discuss. I would love to have that, because that would just be fun. <laughs> It, in north then, korean in north korean air force paint job why not you know <laughs> no one's gonna know what that is here except for a few select few of us we'll be good and then the other prop if you remember uh, and i'm sorry i can't pull the episode name off the top of my head but it was uh in the latter seasons because sherman potter was the ceo 
if you remember, he buys a lighter, they move the spirit post and that lighter stops working. Well, that lighter is a Zippo and I'd love to have that. Yeah, it's a little, you, you've seen these, Ethan. They're the little gag lighters that look like little pistols. Oh, yeah. You pull, you pull the trigger and it flips up. That would yeah. be a cool one. Uh, you mentioned there's like two ways I could go with this answer. I could go with like deep sentimental answer or like really deep cut. No one would know what that prop is. And I, you said the spirit post. I'm like, what if that spirit post is kicking around somewhere? <laughs> Like such an obscure you, prop, but if you knew, if you know, you know. <laughs> you were, you um, remember, my friend. I think I've watched this 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 series as much as you have, at least. I know my <laughs> answer, that's for sure. What's your answer? Uh, Trapper's hat, uh, the uh, straw cowboy style with the red silk wrapped around it. I'm and it, the little I, feather, yeah, little like finch feather in it. I am making my own lookalike. I've decided that a matter of when is all that remains. Very nice. I for someone that Anthony, has watched this, sh- yes. Am I remembering on that hat? Didn't that start as Spear Chucker's hat? Oh God, I don't know. It Maybe. was it was Spear Ch- if if I remember correctly, it was Spear Chucker's, and then I think. Hawkeye wears it in Chief Surgeon who upon his throne with his toilet scepter. And then I think it eventually migrated to Trapper. Yeah, because I think everyone has a, in the swamp has some sort of straw-esque hat at some point. But yeah, no, that specific red silk one. Again, season one, the props rotated around a bunch, but they eventually landed with the specific characters they landed. But yeah, I, I I knew I was going to ask you guys this question, and I've been thinking about it for two days now. It's a hard choice, because again, there's, there's part of me that wants to get the obscure prop. Like, one of my favorite things that I had hanging in my house in the kitchen uh, when I lived up in Colfax was a poster for Jenko Pura Olive Oil Company, From Our Family to Yours, uh, Corleone, Sicily. <laughs> not everyone is going to recognize that for what it is, but the people who do, I love that. I love little hints at stuff like that. So part of me would want to get the obscure props. And one of the ones that came to mind is that um, in, again, one of the middle seasons that we haven't gotten to yet, uh, Frank and Margaret uh, want to get Colonel Potter an anniversary gift. So they have one of the local Koreans carve a bust of oh, him. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but. He accidentally carves him so he looks slightly Asian. Yes. But other than that, it's a, with the exception of the fact that it looks like an Asian Harry Morgan, it's a pretty good bust of Harry Morgan. True. But yeah, there's so many, there's so many little incidental props in the background. But to even have, like, if they unearthed a box that was like all a bunch of the like, secondhand surgical equipment and they said they had a way to authenticate that it was from the mash set i'd even take like a hemostat like i just something something from the film from the actual set would be cool but well, remember when they dropped in the when they dropped in the officers club too you had the mash 4077 um it was not a flag it was a board and it was in the back of the board yeah oh yeah. shit and and all the signatures on it are, I believe, like the cast, the crew, the camera people. Like, mm-hmm. don't quote me on that, but that would be an awesome prop too. But yeah, it there's almost no end to the number of props you could name that I would be more than happy to have. And well, then you have like the one. 
There's another one that features in this episode. One oh, of there's Henry a lot. Blake's, one of Henry Blake's dolls. <laughs> oh, the little, the little like kimono dolls on the desk. Yes. <laughs> oh no. God, yeah, hey, n- I just got her, and you broke the arm. <laughs> there's, there's, uh, man, we're going off on a tangent, but there's now that I'm thinking about it more. There's so many like one-off. I could name just rattle them off. The horizontal pinstripe suit. Oh yes. The yes. the <laughs> crushed. The crushed French horn, which if that is not if if David Ogden Styers didn't take that off set, I'm kind of ashamed of him. But the, the flattened French horn would be one. The custom French horn he gets made with no mouthpiece. <laughs> like there's so I'm sure you know what? Why am I thinking of these? Let's crowdsource audience. Please share with us what mash prop you would love. Like give us like your like actual pick like true like the uh the boots or the dog tags then give us your like wild i want this prop because no one else but me will know what it is prop from mash god uh yeah yeah how about margaret's whip (laughs) what (laughs) i love that ethan doesn't know what half of these are excuse the fuck out of you what do you mean? Margaret gets a whip. Don't that, ask questions. That, that I think is, I think Anthony, if I'm right, that's season five, four or five, because Frank's still there. Oh, so, yeah. It's, that it's, ruins it's, it's so coming. many it's fantasies, coming. but makes uh, so many all, more. All you, need to, all you need to know is that Margaret loves fine leather. That's yes, all you Margaret need to know. Margaret does love fine leather. Uh, well, oh boy. See, I won't ever is, be able is, to look Loretta Swit in the eye if the, I ever oh, meet wait, her. No, no, I found what Ethan's favorite prop is going to be. Say it, Greg. The little pearl-handled pistol that she gives Frank when they okay, go across no, Rainbow thinking, Bridge. <laughs> no, the, yeah, the little ladies' muff pistol. Yeah. yeah. No, I was. Th- I thought you were going to say the pearl-handled Colt Navy. From oh, uh, I forgot about that one. Yeah, uh, the, the I just, general's gun. That's yeah. That's going to be. That's going to be a. Uh, uh, Ethan's favorite prop, and we're not even there yet. Yep. That's like six yep. seasons away. I would have also but, um, accepted uh, Cowboys <laughs> pistols and uh, belt. Ooh, okay. Yes. Cowboys yes. pistols, belt, and hat. Yeah. Um, or or Hawkeye's nineteen eleven when he goes on that. <laughs> no, really. Oh, you have there no idea. There is an idea. episode where Hawkeye has a gun in his hand, which to Ethan I right would... now is a mind-boggling sentence. Well, uh, because as the audience and you guys will both know, uh, I get uh, I, I get horny oh, over the 1911. Uh, it All is right, the go, go on your speech. <laughs> Listen, when John Moses Browning rose up out of the Atlantic Ocean, he had two things in mind: the world's best pistol and 45 ACP, and he combined them into the only good thing that has ever come out of Ohio. Ethan t- usually refers to the uh, Browning 1911 as God's chosen firearm and caliber. So Yes, uh, although although a high point, like a genuine high point, that would be pretty cool. I, I'm not high power, mm-hmm. not high point, for God's high, sake. High point, high power, doesn't matter. It's not a 1911. I'm trying Ethan to throw Ethan want big gun. Yeah. Look, look, when you can when you can melt a high point on a home stove, that's a problem. <laughs> oh no. Well you can do that tune to in, a Glock. Tune in too. for Ethan and Greg's gun podcast coming soon. <laughs> coming soon to a podcast channel near you. I will I will take this moment because we've done it before on the show. Hi. 
the three of us are gun owners, not the crazy Second Amendment tattoo, tactical vest, AR-15 wielding at a Walmart gun owners. We're sensible, wow. no matter. That is my biggest caveat. You know that about me, Greg. We've had this conversation. If, if, if I'm talking <laughs> with strangers about guns, I unfortunately feel the need to clarify that I am not a, I will carry my AR-15 into the Walmart technically because the law says I can type of people. So. Oh, I, no, no, definitely not. Yeah. But anyway, moving forward, uh, the last thing we got off on such a, hello, audience, are you, audience, are you awake? Are you still here? I don't are know, are they listening? there? <laughs> I don't know. We may have lost them. But uh, to wrap up the mash props part of the uh, conversation, remember we were talking about mash props like a half hour ago? Uh, we were? The only other, yeah, the only other major prop of the show specific to a character that has ever auctioned before is, of course, Radar's teddy bear. Um, really? Yep. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, Gary Berghoff do we know what it, it. Do we know what it's sold for? Yes, I have the fig. What member? I said I have like fifteen to twenty tabs open right now. Oh, can, wow. can, can can Greg and I guess before you tell us? Yeah, oh yeah, I'll have you guess. But hang on. So the last time we see the bear for the last time in a very specific episode that I will not spoil, and then Gary Berghoff took it with him uh, at the end of his time on the show. In in Mash, the bear shows up again, but the actual prop bear that Radar uses went offset uh, with Gary, I believe. The the stories around it are kind of vague sometimes, but essentially, it sold at auction in July twenty on July twenty ninth of two thousand five. I'll give you this price because there's another auction price later. It sold for eleven thousand eight hundred dollars. It eventually made its way to the Smithsonian, where it was on display in the Mash set. I don't know. There's there's a whole bunch of stories of what happened, but essentially the last time it was auctioned was March 27th, 2014. How much do you think it went for? And it was the same bear that Gary used from when we so, see it in season one all the way up until season eight. So my line of thinking is if in what what you said, 2008, it went for 11.8, then it appreciated in value. So I'm going to go with a stiff and sturdy uh, 15, 15 smackaroonies. Okay. Nah, I think you're a little on the light side. I'd go more 25 to 30. Ethan is going to be the person I take to Las Vegas with me. $14,307. And it included a notarized letter from Gary Berghoff talking about some of the history of the bear, which he personally <laughs> named, he, Gary, personally named it Tiger. Oh, but that's such a radar <laughs> thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that the bear has a name in the show. I think Radar almost always just calls it his bear, his teddy bear. His bear. Yeah, I don't ever remember it being called a name. Yeah. I'll call it plenty um, of names if you guys want. Oh, no, please don't. Um, yeah. <sighs> and the last thing I'll mention, because if I don't, uh, some of our fans will be annoyed, because I know they shared this with me just to get a reaction from me. Uh, long story short, uh, it was, uh, a post was shared with me from one of the MASH, various MASH Facebook pages or whatever that I always low-key complain about because the same eight jokes are made a thousand times in the comments. You know, my favorite doctor is Tuttle, ha ha ha, ah, Bach, lol, all that. And it was purposely shared with me to get me annoyed. But... We had a really good conversation in the in the comments of that post between me and a bunch of the other fans of the podcast and other MASH podcast hosts about why is it? 
and and Greg, this question is going to be more directed at you because you are familiar with the show as a whole more than Ethan is. Why is it that do you think people have literal internet fist fights over one actor over the other, one one season over the early seasons versus later seasons? Why why are people so gung ho for saying, for example, one of the common ones is Trapper is so much better than BJ, and I will not compromise on that thought one bit. Or season one through three is the good part of the show, and then they they ruined it in the later. Why are people so pat? Because the thing I responded with is, I'm a fan of MASH. Period. All of it. The funny, the the dramatic, the serious, the goofy. I, I think, I think personally that the show became what it was because it had to adapt and change and over time. And that's what made it so good. But as another person who has seen more of the show, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I, I can equate this to an argument that, that, also falls into another series of mine that I highly enjoy that I think I got you beat on because I can, but, but yeah, it's, it, let's face it. Human nature is to argue. We just do yes. that. Our point has to be right. The other person's point has to be wrong. Uh, it, it's just the way it is. That being said, when you look at a series, um, mash is one of the prime examples because it is a single um, a single show that ran for its 11 seasons, I believe, and, and its movie, and that's the end of it, except if you want to contact, talk about Aftermath, but that's another series and show probably for you later on. But um, <laughs> it, it, the arguments are not dissimilar from Star Trek fans who mm. don't like a particular character or out of the multitude of, se- of series that they have created now, some like certain ones, others don't, like myself liking you know, the next generation DS9 not liking Voyager and all the rest of them that have come after it. It, 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 it. It's inherent nature to argue on that. And you all have your particular cast favorites of the series. Obviously, Hawkeye sticks around. Um, we lose others. Um, people get rotated in and out. People get, get killed. People die in reality and they have to be covered up in the show. So it, it changes the dynamic. I think what makes it more important, as you have put as a MASH fan, how does the dynamic change and how do they adapt to make it uh, palatable, pleasing, pleasurable, and then fanatic for all of us? Uh, and MASH has been one of the episodes, one of the series that truly does that well. You know, you replace mm-hmm. characters all the time and you make it better uh, because they have their own quirks and their own jokes. So, you know, I bring that down to it's just, the nature of people to argue over something um, that causes that because I'm kind of in your camp. Yes, there are characters I don't like, but I'm a fan of the show as a whole. And even though there are things that, that may be unpalatable to me, Edwina being one of them, that does not detract from what they did and how much success they were able to achieve. Mm-hmm. I agree. Ethan, I hope Ethan. that answers your question. I think that answers it very nicely. Ethan, I know that you're still newer to the show, but what... I don't even know what question I want to ask you. What are your thoughts as someone who's coming into the show and has kind of heard these me talk, me and Greg and others say, and like Mike when we had him on, mention that, yeah, there's a lot of passionate feeling for one, one season versus another versus this character versus this character. 
does that concern you going forward as someone who's watching the show for the first time? Are you more intrigued to be like, what the hell are they talking about? I just, I always think it's cool uh, when a series, uh, TV show or otherwise can spawn so many dedicated fans. And I think it always just really comes down to what resonates with people. And uh, because people are so different, different jokes and different characters are going to resonate differently from them. I can already probably tell you not knowing when he comes in, not knowing what the fuck is going to happen to anyone. I'm probably going to like Trapper more than BJ. I love the guy. I, you I'm are, just you are the closest real world equivalent to Trapper I have met. So that tracks. I'm I'm just telling you now. And you know, uh send your hate mail to uh shave those corneas.gov, but it it no, not it's for gonna, not, we're a year and a half into this podcast. <laughs> Stop with shave your corneas. It's just it, you know, people get uh, attached to different uh you know, different aspects of the show and that's fine. And if they want to defend them, that's fine. But it really just comes down to what you pick and choose to enjoy in my humble opinion, at least. And, and I, yeah, I responded to all this, uh, very kind of the same way, Greg, very, uh, democratically. Uh, I basically said, I love mash all of it. I neither agree nor disagree with the reason, big reasons, or base reasons people like or dislike various eras of the show or specific characters slash actors. MASH, by part fate and part design, had to slash was allowed to grow and evolve with new characters and sentiments as the show slash war dragged on. Wayne, McLean, Larry, and Gary, for their own personal reasons that were nearly always going to be the same, left the show, spoilers, Ethan, sorry, and that was always going to be the case unless a lot of the writing and background stuff in the real world changed. But in exchange, we got Mike, David, Harry, and then uh, Bill Christopher and Jamie Farr got to step up to the plate. And we got interesting stories out of them in exchange. So, and, you the, know, it's interesting because we're talking about, you know, the fans hating. I don't think there is one hated, absolutely hated, despised character in the Star Trek universe that I don't think I don't think MASH ever achieved that level of hatred, which is I think is a good thing. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think the show did a really good job of taking the time period and rotating actors through because of whatever issues. I'm sure you'll talk about the Trapper issue at the end of the, the third season, but I, I don't think they they ever made it so characters became that hated, um, even when the show was running in regular mm -hmm. air versus now where we see it in syndication and Hulu and all that other. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and a lot of the reasons people don't like specific characters, I would argue. Yeah. Cause they're human beings with character flaws. Like everybody on the planet has. Yeah. Like, like the reasons people like, I can't stand Hawkeye. Good. Haw Hawkeye at some times is a piece of shit and you shouldn't tolerate him. That's the whole point is that sometimes Hawkeye's a piece of shit or, you know, there, like I said, there are some times where I can enjoy Frank or see like, oh, Frank's being a decent human being for once because he's not a one dimensional character. Yeah, I, I have you. But, you made you brought up a great point because there are so many times where they designed Frank's character to be hated and it was really nice to see the moments where they did 
bring him down to earth and make him be a human being for a minute. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And like the, the again, I keep using him as the example because he seems to be the later seasons punching bag. Mike Farrell is BJ Honeycutt. You needed you needed to bring in someone who was dedicated to their family because we had just had three and a half seasons of adultery nonstop. It was nice to get someone <laughs> hit between him and Colonel Potter, two gentlemen who were devoted to their family life. But the trade off is. Yeah, he took it too far sometimes and was a whiny, irritating piece of crap because he's a human being with character flaws. <laughs> like, right. And that's the thing people latch onto. He's like, oh, BJ's so whiny. And, but yeah, I don't know. I could keep talking about it. But, but then I was pushed by our favorite uh, Twitter follower, Mike Jameson. He's like, that's way too rational an adult for this platform. Uh, so he encouraged me to, uh, stop being so mature because it's Twitter. So I responded with, and this is said in sort of jest with like a, a drop or two of how I actually feel. I said, all right, then disliking the later seasons in their entirety because they are too serious demonstrates a level of immaturity and unwillingness to confront the harsh truths of life, like death, loss, and questioning one's purpose and faith. Likewise, <laughs> likewise, uh, <laughs> Being not uh, disliking the earlier seasons. Oh, where is it? Hang on. I, w I may have gone too hard. Uh, <laughs> disliking the earlier seasons shows a lack of an ability to laugh at oneself and find humor in dark times. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like he, he got me a little upset. But <laughs> Just I, like a little I said, bit, Anthony. We again, that was mostly in jest putting on my Twitter rage hat just for the fun of it. But still yeah, the most rational Twitter response I've ever heard. It is, it I, is and you make, <laughs> a, you make a good point because you do have to find humor in dark times. It's, it's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, MASH is, a, MASH is a dramedy, whether you like it or not. It, it is going to be goofy at times where it maybe shouldn't. It's going to be overly serious at times. Yeah, it's in a war zone, people. Like, relax. But... Okay, we've screamed about MASH for like 40 minutes, and we haven't even discussed the episode we came here to discuss. Say, and, Should we... and then we have episodes like this one that don't we fall have, into either that, one. I can tell you, I can, I can sneak, I can give you a hint right now. I don't, there is no controversy with this episode. I think everyone listening is in agreement about this episode, which is good. Now that we've discussed controversy, let's well, discuss. Well, before we, could, we get into that, I think we uh, have a tradition to uphold. Oh God! What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg, hi. You're new. Hello. What's your experience oh, yes. with Mash? Yeah, I, we forgot our key question. How did you come to? We just went right off into guns and props and all sorts of stuff. Before we get into the episode, which I've said five times already, edit those out. How, <laughs> yeah. How did you? We ask every guest. How did you become a fan of Mash? Because no, <laughs> no secret. We're Ethan and I are millennial children. We are young. Greg is not as young, so his experience is going to be different with MASH. How did you come to become well, as engrossed in the show you, as I am? Funny you say that, because I sit on the cusp of Gen X and Millennial, so I don't know which to classify. I know which I'm classifying myself as, so I would technically be a Gen mm -hmm. X if you want to argue that point. But I, you know it was one of those things where I can't really tell you how I got into it because I can't remember. I, I just remember at some point I was introduced to this program, whether it was by my, my late father or whether it was by 
by uh, grandparents. I don't remember where this came up, uh, but I remember, uh, you know, I've all, it's always been part of my life for as long as I can remember. And, you know, it was before streaming services became a big thing for you two millennials. Um, it was the box set on DVDs and it took me probably, you know, four or five years of my working career at that time, buying the box set of DVDs. That's back when I worked for circuit city that long ago, if you believe it. And, Oh my goodness. You know, that's the way it was. Now I have it on my fingertips on my tablet phone or computer with Hulu. And grandpa, what's a circuit city. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I had to get that in there. It was this store, a, a bunch, very much a bunch like of our Best audience, Buy. A bunch of our audience just sh- cried out in terror, and then we're suddenly yeah, silent. It was a store, kind of like Best Buy, but better and red and white, not blue and yellow. Uh, wasn't full of douchebags, but that's my, I digress. Um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's, it's a show that, that I don't care how crappy of a day, how pissed off I am, I can, you know, turn on a mashed episode and I've seen them all as, as I'm sure you have Anthony hundreds of times. I still Mm -hmm. laugh at the jokes. I find something new periodically that I haven't seen or have overlooked. So it, it, this series really transcends time. Um, And there's a whole new generation that's still getting to see it now because it's on Hulu, particularly with Mm -hmm. people like you that are making the podcast and, and, and sharing it with people. It just, it adds a new element, but, um, you know, it brings to mind that night that you and I and Craig, not the bot, my brother, Craig, were in the lounge <laughs> during, um, a certain time in our lives when lockdowns were mandatory that we were playing with your, for lack of a better word, mash trivia pursuit set. Yeah. And Roger was blown away that we could, you could rattle off a question and, Craig and I and you could pick up an answer of the not, most obscure thing. And not just pick up the answer, know when the question was wrong. <laughs> and discuss the episode and why it's wrong. Oh my god. Yeah, for the really hardcore uh, for example, one of our I'll have to send you the picture, uh, Greg, after this, but one of our fans uh sent a picture of his exorbitant mash collection of he has a couple of scripts and old magazine clippings and signed pictures, all sorts of stuff. But yeah, for those of you that are collection collecting mash stuff, keep your eyes open at your local antique or uh, you know thrift stores for the uh, mash trivia game. And I can't remember what company. It's not Trivia Pursuit or Hasbro. It's one of the kind of off-brand companies. But uh, yeah, uh, I have the whole set except for one. I'm missing one of the like point value parts, sadly. But right. whatever. Oh, well, but yeah, ridiculous no, it's, it's, fun. It's like it's got it is some of the questions, man, are like even us three were like, man, that is a that's a deep cut question. Holy cow. But and then one of yeah. us pulls the answer out of our rear end and Roger. Yeah, just going, how the hell? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, and, and I think you said something very pertinent. There is a mash episode for no matter for any mood that you're in. Do you need yeah. to laugh? There's episodes like Five O'Clock Charlie. Do you need do you need kind of a melancholy episode? There's episodes for that. Do you need and I'll be honest, I felt this way some nights. Do you need are there some days where you come home and you're just I just need to feel emotion and be maybe a little upset? There's definitely match episodes for that. Like Yeah. 
yeah, it it's. I, I again, I don't think anyone listening to this podcast currently is like blown away by this revelation that Mash is a good show. I think we're all in agreement of that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they'd be listening to you if they weren't <laughs> in disagreement with you. All right, I'm I'm not going to say it again and not actually start discussing the episode. Now on to yeah, can, the actual can, episode that we're discussing this week. Can we talk I, about that now? Yes, we can talk. I warned you yesterday. This is going to be a this is going to be an episode because there was just it just happened at the perfect moment when there was a bunch of mash news. But the episode we are finally discussing is season two, episode two, five o'clock, Charlie, that aired on September twenty second, nineteen seventy three. Uh, something we haven't done in a while is point out a event in history that would kind of give us a time frame for when this occurred or when this aired. And I didn't have a really good example to pull. So I just pulled one that I knew Ethan and I at least would be familiar with. Um, a few days before this episode aired, Ethan, mm-hmm. uh, was the uh, death of one Graham Parsons uh, in the Joshua Tree National Forest. Uh, he died, uh, he is a singer-songwriter, formerly a member of the Birds, died from a combination of morphine and alcohol while at, at Joshua Tree Inn in Yucca, California, which in and of itself is kind of a throwaway, interesting, uh, factoid. Uh, the more interesting factoid is what his road manager and crew, uh, did afterwards. They hijacked his body from LAX before it could get shipped back to New Orleans and followed through on Graham's uh, final death wishes of being cremated in Joshua Tree Park. So that's how I want to die. Just be cremated by your friends in a on federal land. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the only reason Ethan and I know that is because we, we we watched the same YouTube video about it. But uh, yeah. Uh, I'll have to send you the video because it's a ridiculous story, Greg. But yeah, Graham Parsons passed away three days before this episode aired. That's my well-known historical fact to put the show in a time frame that everyone can understand. I'm sure everyone appreciates and understands that reference to random American uh, singer-songwriter folklore. Everyone we care about. not, Not to date myself, but you do realize eventually you will catch up to episodes for when I was born. Eventually. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but today is not that day. Um, no. So yeah, it aired September 22nd, 1973, written by Lawrence Marks and Keith Walker, directed by Norman Tokar. Um, Lawrence Marks, we have heard many times on the show going forward. He, I believe last uh, episode, I mentioned that uh, Jackie Cooper is the most prevalent director for this season. Lawrence Marks is one of this season's most prevalent writers. So we're going to see a lot of him. Some of his previous episodes are The Moose, Yankee Doodle Doctor, Love Story, uh, Sticky Wicket, so episodes that we have enjoyed. Uh, The other writer, uh, Keith Walker, uh, the two most notable acting and writing credits I saw for him are Mr. Walsh from The Goonies, he played that character, and he wrote for basically anything you see that has the Free Willy title. Um, he was one of oh, the main Lord. writers for Free Willy, which oh. I remember having on VHS growing up. <laughs> oh, oh. Just brought back unpleasant childhood memories of movies. Oh. Uh, Free Willy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let that sink in for you. Have you ever watched <laughs> Free Willy, Ethan? I try not to think about it very much. Well, I'm going to 
congratulations. You're thinking about it now. Don't, um, don't torture. Don't torture him by having him watch that. Uh, the next episode of Mash will be a special bonus episode where we watch Free Willy. Um, no. <laughs> uh, um, next, uh, next, uh, next You'll Sunday be I'll be dead. Month? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, the director, Norman Tokar, has a couple of interesting credits. This first one is, it's been, I've heard it mentioned on other MASH podcasts, and I feel like I would be breaking some sort of, like, mummy's curse if I also didn't share it. Norman Tokar direct, was director for a film called The Cat from Outer Space, 1978, which starred, wait for it, Harry Morgan and McLean Stevenson, both commanding officers from uh, the 4077th. Hmm. which I don't know what makes me want to watch that movie more. The fact that we get to see Harry Morgan and McLean Stevenson together, or the fact that the film is called The Cat from Outer Space. Movie night at the shop, Anthony? I think that might have to be a thing. Yeah. Um, the other one, and I, I specifically put this movie credit on here because I know that all three of us, as uh, what, at one time were young young boys with who read books and watched movies and were also avid outdoorsmen. And I know that no matter how many of us may not want to admit to it, we have all cried to this piece of media. He was the director for the 1974 film adaptation of Where the Red Fern Grows. Fuck him. Believe it or not, I have never, believe it or not, never seen it, never read it. You know, that that actually surprises me. That genuinely surprised me. Ethan clearly has read it. I have read it. Um, I'll tell a quick I'm story a about the red, red fern for you. <laughs> oh God! Um, spoiler alert, started. Greg. Spoiler alert, Greg. The dogs die. Sorry, gonna oh, throw that out there. Of course, the dog dies. Old um, yeller all plural. over again. Dogs plural. It's even sadder than you think. Um, it's twice as sad. So my mom thought this would be when when we used to go to school down the road in Lincoln and live in Auburn. So we would have to do 193 every day. So my mom would go to the library and get audiobooks on cassette for the minivan. She was not ready to have three young boys in her minivan stuck in traffic on 193 for the end of where the red fern grows. She was not. <laughs> she was not. Me and my brothers are sitting there getting tr- childhood trauma while she's trying to drive us home from school. It's so it's good. Honestly, it's it's one of those stories that yeah, it's written for kids, but I genuinely think Greg, thr- get an audiobook version for your next trip up to Idaho. You will, as an outdoorsman and a former child yourself, you will appreciate the story. I think. So yeah, no, I think I'll pass. You'll, you'll pass on the... I, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, and I do not mean this as a joke. You as a grown man will will cry at the end of that book. I, I, there's I, there's that no shame in crying in that. That is a good litmus test for whether someone is a real... Like, that's a good, like, hey, read this. You didn't cry? You're an android. Get away from me. <laughs> yeah, that That is one of two books that has made me cry. Android's the wrong word. Asshole is the right word. Asshole, yeah. If you didn't cry during reading or watching Where the Red Fern Grows, you are not a real human being to, to me. <laughs> or you are like Clint Eastwood levels of badass, no emotion. But that's a whole nother conversation. So anyway, still getting off on tangent. Five o'clock, Charlie. Let's run through the very beginning of the episode so we can actually start talking about it. 
The camp is all sorts of in a commotion. Uh, Radar is placing bets, or taking bets, rather, for some sort of event that is imminently occurring in the next few minutes. We hear the PA speaker announcing three minutes to Charlie. We have no idea what that means. Everyone's running around in a panic. So yeah, Radar, Radar is taking bets for Charlie, which we come and we get a glance around camp that Father Mulcahy is placing bets for 40 yards. Uh, we have Hawkeye and Trapper. This might be, when I picture Hawkeye and Trapper, this, this is Hawkeye and Trapper. This is quintessential, this is Hawkeye and Trapper's friendship for me, summarized in a two-minute scene. You have them getting gussied up to see Charlie come do his thing, Hawkeye is in a safari hat, white scarf, and his maroon uh, bathrobe. Trapper is in a kimono, which I believe is the same one Hawkeye wore for Edwina, uh, just to twist the knife on Ethan a little bit. Um, also, the inspiration for the infamous kimono dragon artwork. And he is also wearing a monocle and a royal tankman, a royal... Not, what am I trying to say? United Kingdom Royal Tankers Regiment Beret. I come to find out that's what he's wearing, which I don't know how he got that, but we're not going to ask questions. I, I don't know what else I want to say about Hawkeye and Trapper at this moment. Do you, do you gentlemen have any opinions on this just gem of a few minutes we get with them? I mean, well, I, I can't disagree with the host of a show like this because it's true. It is, it is quite essentially their... Their interaction together, this sets the tone, I think, for the rest of the season two and for season three of how they behave. Because as you've discussed so many times in season one, it was a little bit frantic, mismatched, and, and you never knew what you were going to get on the flavor of the week. But this sets the tone going forward uh, of how they're going to interact. And I think it also sets up um, the next few sequences where Frank and Margaret get involved. You know, it's mm -hmm. two goofballs stuck in 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 the the chaos that is the korean war and and it, it just i think it just sets the tone for the the future theory yeah i i think so as well there's a lot better trapper and hawkeye seem like they're on a lot more of an even footing in this episode than they have been in the past which i know ethan has been one of your critiques of how they've written trapper is that he seems to be very much hawkeye's shadow as opposed to center stage with him why reggie i couldn't have said it better myself oh god oh my that was awful <laughs> that was awful uh i do love how the pip pip cheerio righto are you too sick or something <laughs> did you have a cold the and only then, logical uh, question to ask someone who sounds vaguely british yes um uh, there goes a third of our podcast audience from Europe. All right, bye. Um, so we have Frank and That's Margaret right. coming. I'm used to it. We have Frank and Margaret coming in, screaming about an air raid, which, again, up to this point, we have no idea what's going on. We, we don't know why everyone's freaking out. Apparently an air raid is coming. Frank and Margaret are uh, panicking. Uh insisting that they need to take cover that they ask don't you realize what danger you're in and i love the response of frank you realize for us and you will protect us there's just no cares in the world coming from uh 
Frank, uh, not Frank, uh, Hawkeye and Trapper. They proceed out of the swamp to the to the viewing area, and I love the the running gag in this episode that uh, they keep stealing Frank's gun and replacing it with other <laughs> objects. Uh, the the first is a uh, water pistol. It gets better which, from here. Which which is filled with quotation mark water quotation mark as Trapper points out. How do you know it's water? Um, I I so Frank, don't like that his base instinct whenever he draws his quote unquote service weapon is, is to, to put his it. finger it's to on immediately it. fire it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's face it. He immediately squeezes the trigger, up. which is arguably not the worst direction to fire it. Certainly not the ideal direction. Actually, no. The ideal direction would be don't touch the gun, Frank. That's that's the ideal direction. So Frank uh, and Margaret uh, Anthony, run off. What? Yeah. A- yes. Am I wrong? Am I wrong in thinking this was one of the first sets where William Christopher became a regular cast member? So here's the thing with both Jamie Farr and William Christopher. Up until I believe William Christopher is season five and Jamie Farr is season six. They are day players. They do not have okay. full service contracts until those seasons. But okay. they over the course of the next few seasons, they get featured more and more and more and more. They should have probably been regular contracted full-time cast like by season four for sure. But yeah, you know, whatever. The wheels of Hollywood turn slowly. But but yeah, we, we do see a lot more of um Klinger uh Klinger and Father Mulcahy going forward. But yeah, up up until season four, they are very sporadic. But so Frank and Margaret leave in a tiff as they are to do basically every time. Uh, just a random side note: we do get a very nice view of the swamp door. Which, going back to our props conversation earlier, that would be another cool one. The the OG swamp door with the with the paint on it would be kind of neat. But yes, I've seen so many people recreate it, though. It's it's pretty. And, but then don't forget that still in the background. And the still is another one because there's I think there's like three or four versions of the still, too. And there is while we're here, while we're here, we might as well point out the signpost like. Oh, yeah, that's one. That's an easy one to name off. But Hawkeye and Trapper take their uh, recliners and they toddle off, as they say, to the viewing area. Uh, we get Henry and uh, Nurse Ginger Bayless, played by Odessa Cleveland, in surgery, discussing both the surgery and uh, which uh, yardage they both uh, bet on. So we're getting an idea of what might be happening. They're betting on some sort of contest or or something that is about to happen. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say it right here. This might be the best introduction of a one-off character in the entire series. I agree. There is, and it might be just because there's fanfare and like an announcement for it, but we get a bunch of one-off characters throughout the series. This is definitely the best presentation and exit of a one-off character that we don't even really see. (laughs) Like we see him just from a distance. So, we see that everyone's lined up looking at an ammo dump from probably about 100 yards, 150 yards away. Uh, radar is still taking bets at the last minute. Uh, 
Frank and Margaret are still urging everyone to take cover, but it's too late because we hear the quintessential engine sputter in the distance. The announcement comes over the loudspeaker that he has returned for the sixth straight week in a row, direct from North Korea, five o'clock Charlie, his airplane, and his astigmatism. So, what... Ethan, I'm going to ask you a question. Yes. When we worked at the summer camp, we had this phenomenon that would happen minimum one time a summer up to four or five times a summer. Yes. There is a regular cargo run, Greg, between probably Edwards Air Force Base and one of the depots in Nevada. Yeah. 100 percent. I don't I've heard rumors about how this happened. Either it was some guy's kid went to the camp and they know where it is now to all sorts of rumors. But minimum one time a summer, a C-17 Galaxy would drop into the valley where Bear River Reservoir is and run the run the canyon, basically, and right. then fly out. Well, you, you remember, I hunt the opposite side of 88 I was about where to say, you guys you, are at. You are familiar with the area because your your hunting spot is literally the the opposite side of the highway from us. Yeah, uh, the campground that's up there opposite the lake from where you guys are at. Typically, we'll head up there um, if we're up there for a long period of time. Um, I don't know if they still have it because it's been a couple of years since we've been up there. But we go up there. They have coin-operated showers and coin-operated laundry, so you could do your laundry and take a real shower and. And so, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So they, they would do that minimum one time a summer up to four or five. If they did it with any sort of regular frequency, it would have become like it would be it would have been added to the camps like itinerary of events. Oh, yeah. because yeah. It, it it was so cool to watch. But this is on a whole nother level because five o'clock Charlie is actively trying to bomb them. So, and you know, it's funny. I was I was trying to think about this. I'm not even really sure unless you've done the research. I was trying to identify what kind of aircraft that is. And I can come up with a few <laughs> a few close what I think it is, but I'm not sure. Why don't you once again, I have 20 tabs open. The odds that I know exactly what plane it is, I'm going to tell you are very high. But what what were some of the ones you, you came close with? Because I'm, I'm curious to know so, if you actually were able to guess it. Well, based on based on appearance, you can't take sound because that sound is is completely fake. It's there's no way in hell <laughs> with that sputtering, coughing that that in, that aircraft would be able to stay airborne because the propeller is not rotating enough. But it looks like it could be a T eight Texan um, that's been modified for the appearance that it is. Um, mm -hmm. Other than that, it could be a, uh, something out of the Lockheed line early Lockheed, but, but it's just so hard because you don't get a clear shot of it. Uh, especially with the cameras from the 1970s that gives you any hint. Okay. So I, I do, I do have some history on both that airplane and what five o'clock Charlie is based off of. Before I get to that, I'll just ask a general question. And I, I, I asked this already knowing my answer, which is no, but is is five o'clock Charlie too ridiculous for the show, or did it fit absolutely right into not. the? Absolutely, okay, that good. That's the right answer. Yeah, Ethan, what about you? Oh God, he it, it, like a glove. 
so the, the reason I don't think this that the five o'clock Charlie thing is too ridiculous is one. Militaries are weird and they do weird stuff. I 100 percent can believe that military. Yeah, I can 100 percent believe that the North Koreans sent a pilot in a little prop plane with, you know, two cylinders misfiring to go drop a 50 kilogram bomb on an ammo dump randomly, because if if our military arguably the best military in the world, logistically, training wise, all that does some of the weird, dumb shit they do. No offense to anyone who is or has served, but let's be honest, y'all do some crazy crap. Yeah, like I flying I've seen, a cargo plane through a canyon. I've seen how you tankers decorate you your shit. So let's let's not throw any stones. We all yeah, know. I I don't doubt that weird crap like this has happened, and in fact, it has because Five O'clock Charlie is based on real events. Uh, in the Korean War and in the Pacific War, the Marines and military forces in the theater came up with the nickname Bed Check Charlie or Washing Machine Charlie for these type of flights. They were basically, yeah, if they bombed a target, great. If they shot up some barracks, great. But most of their job is to, the Japanese employed this and the North Koreans employed this. They're just harassment flights. They'd fly in really, really late at night or very, very, very early in the morning just to force an alert, to force the gun crews to get out of bed, to force the base to go on alert so that soldiers couldn't get a full night's sleep. That's all these were, is just harassment flights. And yeah, they might machine gun up your depot, or they might, you know, drop a couple bombs and create, you know, make small craters on your runway if you're in an airfield. But the main purpose of these flights was harassment, basically. I love how they think American soldiers get a full night's sleep. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but the, there is some logic there. There is some logic psychologically to having enemy air cover bother you every day, even if you're not scared of it, like clearly the mash isn't. If this was happening at 2 a.m. every night and they had to go, you know, go full air raid pr procedure, the doctors would eventually we see in the future. The doctors not getting enough sleep is a already a factor. If you pile on top of that, it just it, it makes sense. But of course, it's mash. So they're doing it in the middle of the day in the worst airplane possible to do it in. Um. Some other history is the North Koreans used a rather well-known plane. If you're into military history, it is the this is not the airplane they use in the show, but the airplane that was typically used for these missions is the Polyakarpov Po-2, which is a um, large biplane that was used as a bomber by the Soviets in the Second World War. And I say that I use that term bomber loosely. It is one of the most mass-produced aircraft with over 40,000 airframes being built, but it is uh, about... It, it, this plane would get outmatched by uh, a well-seasoned butterfly. These are not good airplanes. But they were very useful because they had such a large biplane wing that they could travel at very, very low speeds and still maintain lift, which is why fun World War II fact, one of many for this episode. The Po-2 biplane was used by a squadron in Russia called the Night Witches, an all-female bomber group that their specialty was night raids, and they would fly up to the German lines, cut their engines, and glide bomb the Germans, and you could not hear them coming. So the German soldiers That's were impressive. terrified. The German soldiers were terrified of these women in these planes. 
And the, the crappy thing is, is they eventually got to know their routine well enough that the, as soon as dawn light broke, the Germans would send every fighter they had after them. So it was a dangerous mission for those ladies, which, yeah, the, the Soviet armed forces in World War II are not. There are so many ridiculous stories of stuff they did. But in the show, the T-8 Texan was a good guess because it was a trainer plane for the Navy and the Army. The actual aircraft is a Ryan PT-22 trainer, so that's why it's two-seated. Uh, repainted in North Korean livery. Uh, and the pilot they hired to fly the plane had never flown a, the PT-22 before. So they had the owner of the plane flight, which is why in some of the shots you see a pilot in the front that throws the bomb. You can actually see the owner of the plane, uh, Don Burkett, hunched down in the, in the second pilot seat. That little lump you see is him hunched down, controlling the airplane so that they can get the shot. Yeah, you can, um, can't you? Yep. yep. Uh, I, th okay, not a mash prop, but kind of an adjacent mash bit of uh, history. Uh, Don Burkett, uh, this was released, this episode came out in September. In the October edition of Private Pilot Magazine, he did a write-up article uh, about working with the show with his aircraft. So that would be a cool if someone has the original, the old private pilot magazine from the 70s, that would be a cool article to get someone if you were into aviation and mash, that would be a neat little, again, a very niche little bit of mash history, but still pretty cool. Um, something I noticed on my second watch through today of the episode, because of how filming works, uh, they really only got one day of filming with the aircraft. So a lot of the shots you see are spread out over the course of multiple days in the show, but it's one day of filming. So you'll notice in some of the background shots, uh, General Clayton's Jeep is already parked there, uh, <laughs> among other things. But uh, yeah, fun little fact there. Um, yeah, so five o'clock Charlie comes in. They he chucks a bomb out the side of the airplane, misses completely. Which apparently, again, this is the sixth straight week that he's done this. And we come to find out that the thing they've been betting on is how far away from the ammo dump his bomb lands, which this is perfect. I love this so much. I part of me is like, man, would they really? Uh, yes. After six weeks yes, of this, yes, they would. A hundred percent. They would be betting on betting on this. And, and Frank even complains about it in the future. No one betted on the Battle of Britain. Frank. No, I'm sure some sadistic fucks somewhere were betting how many how many German plane bombers will we shoot down today? Uh, you know, how many how many one like people will bet on anything if they are bored enough. But well, you, you know, the patron saint of cigars likely was betting on it. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah, so. Jared and I had a running bet of uh, how many times Cisco would get stuck or run late uh, one That's summer. That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, no one could have bet on them busting an oil pan in the middle of camp, though. Um, uh. Yeah. Our our food truck that delivered into camp every week, uh, no matter how many times we asked for a short wheelbase box truck, they'd always send an articulated 18-wheeler. A 53-footer? Yep. Yep. And all oh, it took was one unexperienced driver. 
That is yeah. not a vehicle that should be going up those roads. Now, no. here's the thing. If you have an experienced driver, they can do it. It's going to take them some time, but they can do it. They should just send the box van because we don't need an entire tractor trailer's worth of food. However, we they got the one inexperienced driver that one time, and I love Ethan called it. Ethan was watching him pull the truck in and literally seconds before it happened. What'd you say, Ethan? You know, if he keeps going over that rock, he's going to uh, drop down and bust his oil pan. And literally seconds later, wham! Uh, 20 quarts of engine oil in the middle of the of the uh, El Dorado National Forest. Mm. And, that, this, and that truck sat there for three days. This guy was furious when I climbed up on his passenger side and started tapping on his window because he didn't realize he'd done anything. He just thought some dipshit was trying to talk to him in his well, yeah, hour if he doesn't of kill his motor, Yeah, if he doesn't kill his motor, he's going to have a lot more problems than a cracked oil pan in about a minute and a half. Yeah. And that's it. He's he kept his job. <laughs> Look, he's not working for Swift, okay? <laughs> hey, there you go. So, uh, as as Hawkeye and Trapper say, everyone goes and retires to the digs because they're nearly out of plasma. I love the way that line's delivered. Uh, Anthony, Anthony, yes. Did I miss something? I just noticed this now in rewatching it with you the third time today or the second time today. It looked like Trapper dyed it red in the swamp and it's clear out here. Dyed, dyed what red? Dyed the, uh, he looked like he was adding, oh no, he must have been adding vermouth to it then. Maybe. I, I, yeah. I know what you're talking about because that's not, that's something they've done in the future is hot. Ethan, I'm just going to tell you this now. No, no, no spoiler. No spoiler alert. No because I, I left the biggest. I left the biggest spoiler alert for Ethan out. Mm, fair, you did. You did. You did. You did. Mm-hmm. Thanks, so, guys. No, so he pours it into the thermos, and yeah, he does have a bottle of what looks like vermouth. So he is yeah. making. He's not following Hawkeye's recommended recipe though, which is one of my favorite lines of the show. And it, I forget it happens in like the first or second episode. It's uh. Pour six jiggers of gin while staring at Lorenzo Schwartz, the inventor of vermouth, for the driest <laughs> martini. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of want that. If if there's ever someone making a like a cocktails of the of film and stage, I want that to be one of the recipes. Is the driest martini, six jiggers of you gin, work, staring you at. You do work for a guy. You know this can be done. I do. I do. I would. That's that's another one of those. I put that up in my bar, or my kitchen, like. The dry, like a little, like nice little, like recipe leaflet on a sign that says the driest martini and have it like in Radar's typewriter font. And no one would get it except the people that do. And those are the only people that matter. <laughs> but so, yeah, Charlie is flying off. They, they wait for the results of the pool. Uh, we then pop into. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't message a lot of people's favorite line from this episode. Nurse, you're out of uniform. Where? How about my tent in five minutes? Oh, Hawkeye. Oh, Hawkeye. Try getting away you. with that now. But anyway. God, no. The, eventually, we're going to have to have an episode discussing, could you make MASH today? They are uh, going yeah. to try. I guarantee they are going to I try. So here's the thing. The fact that no one has yet tells me something about this show i think yes that's a conversation for a future episode but yeah so i'm I'm just i'm just looking at props back to that prop conversation 
Henry's diploma from the scene. Ooh. Henry's diploma would be a cool one. Yeah. Really anything hanging on the walls of the office, but I, I, I believe most of the art you see on the walls are from McLean's actual kids. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't I want to take that. any of those, but uh, the skeleton would be interesting for several reasons. Um, I, there's, there's your little kimono doll. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So Frank is complaining to Henry that five o'clock Charlie being allowed to accost the camp unopposed is unacceptable, which I kind of see Frank's point, but also I'm sure the army has looked at and gone, this dude's an idiot. We're fine. But he, he keeps harping. Frank keeps harping on about how we need to defend our skies. We need to, we need to, you know, support what Billy Mitchell believed, uh, that we need a strong air force and forgive me gentlemen this led me down another rabbit hole because frank uh, frank brings up you got to there's a lot of people that that the billy mitchell reference probably went over their heads because they don't really know who he is and what he did yeah so the, hence why i wanted to take a moment and discuss very hopefully briefly but you guys know me billy mitchell if you don't know who Billy Mitchell is and you are a fan of military history, especially military aviation history, you need to look up Billy Mitchell. What yep. Frank says is essentially correct. Billy Mitchell is known as the father of the Air Force. He served in the Army. He served in World War I in the Air Corps. Realized the necessity of having a strong Air Force. That's not a hyperbole on Frank's part. And he would go on through the 20s and 30s to be a thorn in the Army and Navy side to the point of nearly being court-martialed. Wow. Because he, he strongly believed in, in building up the country's Air Force training. And he demonstrated, he, they, they, through war reparations, got a hold of an old uh, German battleship post-World War I. And he demonstrated in a series of tests that large capital ships were under extreme threat by coordinated airstrike and no one believed him which if you know anything about world war ii history he was right like a lot the bismarck uh, comes to mind uh pearl harbor comes to mind the entire pacific mm -hmm. war comes to mind the, the there's a reason we don't there's a reason the united states navy has something like 38 carriers and no large capital ships other than that like it's carriers and destroyers and cruisers there's no battleships anymore and there's a reason because they're a big target for airplanes but yeah read up on billy mitchell he is a fascinating dude and he irritated a lot of people as do as a lot of people who are usually right do in history he yeah he very very much proposed a strong air force and he unfortunately wouldn't see himself uh proven right uh because he passed away in 1936 but uh there was a lot of attempts to um give him posthumous promotions in in early 1940s because people realized I, I, like we we they went back to a lot of his ideas and teachings at the start of world war ii after seeing I, how effective the germans were with their air force and ground forces working. 
So I know I know you wanted to keep it brief, but is is he? I don't know if you've researched this. Is, that, is he related to the General Mitchell that led the B twenty five raid over Tokyo? Uh, up, 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 up. you know, I did not delve into that very deeply. Um, I know that the B-25 Mitchells, the bombers they used, are named after him. That's how they got their, right. their operational name. Um, I don't know. Did he even have, let me see if he had kids. And if, well, if here's the nice thing about editing i can get rid of all of this if we need to because i know yeah. doolittle was the colonel in charge of the raid but the person yeah, above him yeah That's was it. i don't think he was no it was doolittle i'm i'm thinking the wrong person but yeah you know what i meant yeah yeah no no, no relation that would be the, a no. the only relation was that the b25 mitchell bomber was named after billy mitchell yeah but yeah huge yeah just the reason, the reason we have an Air Force is Billy Mitchell, long story short. So Frank is right, but there is an even deeper layer of down the rabbit hole with Billy Mitchell and MASH. Frank is correct that he was played uh, by Gary Cooper in um, the movie... Uh, hang on, I have the name of it here. Hold. 1955. The Court Martial of Billy Mitchell, where he, where he played Colonel Billy Mitchell. Uh... The director of that movie was a gentleman by the name of Otto Preminger. Otto Preminger's little brother is Ingo Preminger, the producer of MASH the Motion Picture. So, <laughs> yeah, just down the rabbit hole I went, and I have, and I just resurfaced today. So, yeah, there you go. Fun times. Um... <laughs> Uh, so Frank is insistent that they need, that they need to call General Clayton and request, uh, anti-aircraft gun to defend the camp. Um, he then quotes, since we're on the military aviation history, he then quotes, he who controls the skies controls the war. Herman Goering said that. Herman Goering may have said that. He is not the one credited with the quote. Uh, much like Billy Mitchell, the Italian army also had people who were screaming that they needed to increase their air force. The quote, he who controls the skies controls the war, comes from uh, General Giulio Duchette of the Italian Army. And the only reason I bring him up is because he was a big proponent of strategic bombing. He is also credited with the idea in aviation warfare that the bomber will always get through, no matter what. Which, a lot of his teachings were used by the Allies in the strategic bombing of the Germans' uh, industrial complexes. So yeah, uh, air power wins wars, people. So Frank, as we have said so many times on the show, Frank, you're not wrong, you're just an asshole. <laughs> which brings back uh, Ethan's favorite German phrase, which is... Volterzobscherkeit. Which I have learned is not a real German word. Ah, well, real enough for me. It's literally named after a character from a TV show named Walter. Well, I don't so, care. Voltaire's Schobscherkite. Sure no, I don't care either. Voltaire's Schobscherkite, whatever the word is, is one of my favorite phrases no matter what. But yeah. So yeah, military uh, air history there for you. Which, as I've warned on the show previously, do not get me started talking about World War II history. It is, it is the only thing I can talk at length more than mashed about. So... 
so Frank's complaining. Henry has won the pool, by the way, uh, with how many yards did he choose? Radar comes in and is screaming it. Uh, is it like 62 and a half? 75 and a half yards. Very, very nice, Henry. And I did want to take a moment. We're going to pause the MASH discussion for a second. As we stated earlier, Greg, you are a connoisseur of fine tobacco, are you not? I am. Um, specifically cigars. And I figured if we're going to have someone who is very knowledgeable about cigars on the show, I would like to transport myself back in time to teenage Anthony, who obviously was not a cigar smoker then, and have some of the questions that popped into my mind about cigars answered by someone who is familiar. I know the answers to these questions roughly now, but since you're here for the uh, pleasure of our viewing audience, I wanted to pose some questions to you that I had had watching MASH, because we talked about this earlier. MASH weirdly has a lot of cigars in it, just yeah. in the background or in scenes. So a lot of these thoughts came up to me when I first watched through the series. Because we see cigars in media a lot because they're kind of a... They've always been used as kind of like a status symbol thing. Like I specific think of movies like The Godfather or specifically mob movies come to mind. You always have the, the mafia boss smoking a big like Italian or Cuban cigar. But in MASH, it's different because we see almost everyone at some point smoke cigar, even Radar. So yeah. one of the questions I wanted to ask that had come to mind to me before I knew what, about cigars, why is Henry Cigar uh, Army OD Green? Why, why so, is that a thing? It's funny you say that. So they're in the cigar world. Um, and, and the terms I, I, I should start out in the beginning are, are, are relevant to the manufacturer because they can be sifted around depending on what they are, much like the size of the cigar. But there are several different color grades of wrapper leaf. What you see in this scene is you see a green one. That's called a candela. That's the lightest color that they make. They're also in order is the claro, Colorado claro, Colorado, Colorado Maduro, and Oscuro being the darkest. It's the different shades from green to dark brown to nearly black. Um, in this case, it is a candela. And when a cigar, when cigar tobacco is grown, it's green. When it's cut from the plant or primed, where they pull off the leaves that they want at a certain time for the flavor profile, they're then, then hung in a barn to dry. They retain their green color uh, as long as they're left in the barn for a shorter period of time, then they sift to brown and then they're fermented Oh God, it just got bright. Um, then they get fermented and they, they go into the different stages of, of all the way to black, if you will. So that's in this case, we're seeing a wrapper on the cigar that is um, not aged uh, long enough or longer than would normally be associated for what you see today. You also have to go back to the time period. You're talking the 70s. Cigars were very popular in the Victorian era. Um, through the early 20s, early 30s, they kind of fell out of favor, except for the ultra-rich that can afford them through the Depression era. And then they came back into favor again, most notably with our um, one of our presidents, uh, President Kennedy, being a fan of the Cuban cigars. So they started their comeback again. Back then, um, for the 70s era, a lot of your less expensive cigars that you would primarily see in a war zone, because it would be hard to get the higher-end ones, were a green wrapper leaf. Um, it's also a different flavor. It's more grassy note in today versus the more rich 
uh, full flavor tobacco that you and I enjoy when we're on my podcast. Um, so it does change that, but, but it really depends on that because if you notice, not to be a spoiler for Ethan, but in later seasons, um, both Henry and the, the future commanding officer, Colonel Potter, are cigar smokers. They feature in a lot of the different episodes and scenes. So you also see Potter with the same thing. He's typically smoking a Candela cigar unless you've got somebody like, um, is it dangerous? Not dangerous, Dan. Um, help me oh, out, Anthony. The other, the God. other the pilot with diabetes. Smiling Jack. Smiling Jack. Think. He has access to Tokyo where he can get finer Cuban cigars, as our lovely Colonel <laughs> Potter will say, um, has access to higher grade cigars by going into Tokyo. So it just depends on what they're getting and where. Um, the PX okay, is obviously not going to carry the biggest one. Because I always, I always assumed, and again, this is young Anthony thinking this like, wow, is that an army issued cigar? Even the cigar is OD green. Okay, that's weird, but... <laughs> But no, you're saying that it's it's green because it would have been the cheapest, more, you know, I think I guess it's a kind of a double edged sword for the show. It's a, it's the cheapest they could get for props, because I'm sure I'm sure there's five half smoked cigars offset from the different takes because they oh, had. Yeah. To, I'm sure I'm sure McLean Stevenson lit up like six of those cigars for various takes, and, but he doesn't seem to be actually smoking it, but. What's the cardinal sin, Anthony, that he performs in this scene? I did not watch his cigar smoking closely enough to. He see. lights it with a zippo. <laughs> that is like, you are going to hell, sir. There is nothing I can do. And for your audience, not that they want to know this fact, but the reason in the modern era where we're in now, Zippo lighter fluid, also known as Ronson fuel, has flavorings of sulfur and things like that in it. And that flavor of the burning of the fuel will translate into the foot of your cigar. And it makes it taste pretty bad. So that's why it's like, that's a sin. You don't do that. That's why the modern cigar lighters you see are all high quality, extremely purified torch fluid. Uh-huh. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, Ethan, how are you doing over there, bud? I just press my cigar against the car's engine block, and when it gets hot enough, I take a few puffs. Gets a real nice scent of oil in there. Oh god, if you, if you're you horrible. Guessed, if you haven't guessed, uh, I have watched someone who shall remain nameless light their cigar with a Zippo lighter on many occasions. Um, yeah, I bet they have. But you know, it's funny because there's a lot of things they do in this series that. I, as a cigar smoker, just cringe at, uh, like, biting the end off the cigar and things like that. It's just like, why are you doing yeah, and this? Spitting, and spitting the pigtail across the room. Yeah. That's looking at it through the modern lens. That was popular back in the day. So, you know, it's us looking at the lens of, of what the modern cigar industry has put out versus what would have happened in the 70s. Or in mm -hmm. this case, the 50s. But that goes that goes back to something you guys say on your on your cigar podcast all the time is there might be ways that are less conventional to smoke your cigar. But if you enjoyed the cigar, everyone else can shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, Pretty much. Even if yeah, we, even there's, if there's we will ways... secretly point and laugh. Yeah, but OK, so so going speaking, back, I start speaking of Anthony yeah. um, yes. 
as you know uh, from us talking about this episode from when you first started this podcast, I currently am smoking an El Redondo, the finest Cuban cigars rolled in Newark by Puerto Ricans. Yes, yes. Uh, all, all the mash nerds out there are like, yes, good reference. Meanwhile, Ethan, confused and quiet yeah, in the Yeah, he'll corner. get there, he'll get there. I've been confused most of my life. Trust me, it's nothing new. Don't in worry, reality, uh, I have uh, in uh, reality I have a beautiful Room 101 farce Maduro uh, that's thoroughly ooh. enjoyable. And Maduro, for, to put into context compared to what Henry, Maduro is the other end of that aging spectrum. Correct. It's, yeah, it's the darkest. Uh, it's this one's not a dark wrapper, but it's one of the darker shades of wrapper. It's a stronger flavor note, less sweet, more. Um, Melancholy would be a good word to describe it. It's more earth tones and, and deeper, rich flavor. And I'll be honest with you, you know, um, I've smoked cigars for years, as you know, and I am not a fan of the Candela wrapper, except in certain exceptions, mm-hmm. um, because I don't like, if I want fresh cut grass clipping taste and smell, I'll freaking eat my lawn out front when I'm cutting it. But, but that, goes, that goes back to something I was going to mention is, Henry's smoking a, can- a green cigar, a Candela cigar, for two, two reasons. One, it's what the prop department can get a lot of cheap. But also, in the 50s in a mashed unit in Korea, probably what they could get their hands on easily and cheap. So Yes and, it- <laughs> yes and no. I mean, Candela, no? Candela was very, very popular up until about the 50s, which would be about right for this time frame. It did fall out of favor, and then it's now coming back into favor with there's 7,000 cigar manufacturers out there now and growing, and Candela is really coming back into flavor into favor as a flavored note. So it's interesting mm. how that comes full circle again. Very nice. So, yeah, thank you for that. So, because that's again, I've seen cigars in media and have grown up because my my dad, one of the other hosts on the Beyond the Humidor podcast. I've grown up with him smoking cigars, so I've like casually known some of the stuff, but just even in the time of me listening, not just not even helping with the pod, your guys podcast, I've learned a bunch of cool stuff. So thank you for sharing some of that with the audience and audience. If you smoke cigars and enjoy cigars, go check out the Beyond the Humidor podcast because I will put links. I'll put links. Sometimes I even say ridiculous shit over there because I'm the camera guy. But, you know, yeah, it is a very good podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're and, just and usually, saying that. If you're saying ridiculous, ridiculous shit, it's usually because we deserve it. Yeah. I won't argue with that. Mm-hmm. So. And there's, and there's that doll again. And there's that doll again. So cigar tangent over. Uh, Radar comes in with uh, Henry's winnings. We get the he who controls the skies controls the war. Trapper and Hawkeye come in to congratulate uh, Henry and also inform him that there will be a poker game where his, he and his money are most welcome. Frank insists on calling General Clayton, to which Radar in the background has been setting up the phone call. We, we also find out, and I love this, that the general is also calling in to place his bets each day for the, uh, <laughs> the yardage. Like, I love how, like, yes, yes, we need to... We'll give Frank his gun, but also, can I please put in a bet for my space <laughs> at the same time? Uh, after a little bit of waffling and the general putting in his 62-yard uh, bet, uh, Frank insists that Henry ask for an anti-aircraft gun. And I, I, again, this is one of those dumb little jokes that 
Mash throws in just because they can. Henry reads the uh, the manifest upside down, so he requests an O four W W nug, which is again like so many of these little jokes. I have no words. I can't discuss it further. It's a great little gag. Moving on. And well, even upside down, they get it wrong. Yeah. yeah, even up, but I mean that goes to where if you actually said what it was upside down, the joke wouldn't be as funny because people would have to think about it too long. True. But if you just say O four W W Nug just rolls off the tongue and is quick enough that people get it before you m- move to the next thing, so I'm okay then, with that. And then in 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 true in true mass fa- mash fashion, you've got that phone floating around, everybody putting in their two cents, which we know in reality <laughs> never would happen. Oh no! Oh Not no! Not without a court martial or three. I kind of part some of some of these phone calls. I would love to go back and edit so that you hear just what the general hears. <laughs> like specifically this phone call and the one from the end of season one, where uh, General Clayton's telling him about the ceasefire, and you hear like I'm sure Clayton heard like vague thank yous from Henry. Lots of screaming in the background, and then all of a sudden, shuffling of the phone. General, I want to have your baby. Like, I would love to kind of go back and edit the phone call to be, what did the general hear? Because <laughs> I'm sure it's even more ridiculous than what we're watching on screen. But, there, so yeah, the argument, the argument ensues. Frank is desperately demanding that they need a gun. Hawkeye is, and Trapper vehemently opposing it. The general ultimately says, I will come up there and deal with this situation myself, which good on good on Clayton. Good leadership there. Like, no, I'm going <laughs> to good on him. I, fair, fair to General Clayton. I'm, I'm not going to listen to either of you. I'm going to come up and make up my own mind. Because <laughs> I don't trust that either of you are telling me the full truth, which, yeah, probably not. Uh, Frank is storming out in a t- in a tiff yet again. Uh claiming that someday all all of Hawkeye's behavior and filthy language will come out and it'll be a sad day for the U.S. Army when it does. And he wants everyone to understand that this is war and war is a call to arms. And again, to Ethan's point earlier, why are you drawing your gun, Frank? Just for dramatic effect? Like, what? <laughs> Frank, why do you do this to yourself? And yet again, but, <laughs> he's firing. he's firing the damn thing because he's sending... The radar. <laughs> yeah, he he pulls it, looks at it, and squeezes it. Like at least he took a moment to register that it was not a firearm before he did. Uh, which good good. And I'm convinced. Now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder. Now nah, his holster's closed the whole time until he goes to reach for it. I I kind of want to watch back the scene after we're done recording and see if you can see Trapper or Hawkeye lift his gun. It wouldn't surprise me a bit if they if they added that in there and I've just we've just missed it. I, I don't it think they do. I don't think they do. But I'm 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 sure that's what happened in the universe of the show. Is while Frank is yelling at the general about the gun, Tra- Trapper or Hawkeye makes the swap. But that is if Frank ever did get his gun back at any point in this episode. But. Frank storms off, and we see General Clayton come into camp. He almost runs over uh, Father Mulcahy, which is unfortunate. And we get another one of the cutesy little Father Mulcahy joke reads that I love. Uh, bumps into the back of of 
Father Mulcahy is like, oh, I'm terribly sorry, Padre. And, and William Christopher just turns around and goes, it's okay, General, I'll just turn the other cheek, and he walks off. I, again, anytime they use Father Mulcahy for rel religious comedy, chef's kiss. I love it so much. And then we get to my favorite part of, of most MASH episodes. Margaret uh, and the Generals. Margaret and the General. Uh, Margaret uh, calls General Clayton to her tent. The General runs it. Runs in, Margaret, quickly, before word gets out, I'm here. Goes for an embrace. To which Margaret has to go, oh, you know Major Burns, yes? Oh, of course. So they, they try to head the general off and say, hey, we, the majors, you know, the higher ranking people, suggest that they're going to try to persuade you against the gun and, you know, tell you that we don't need one, it's not necessary, but we think we think you should reconsider it. And General Clayton also has a point here. Where he's like, what are you doing? Be quiet. I'm a general. I get to decide what. Hush. Stop. Stop talking, Frank and Margaret. And, and, you know, of all the generals that we see in season one and two, I think Clayton play this actor plays a general. What I would perceive as a general, the best. No mm -hmm. one makes its mind general's mind up for him. It's, it's just yes. the kind of piety that you get with that rank. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I know I, I like General Clayton. General Ham, Hammond is, G. Woods' character is what he is. He's just kind of a placeholder for a couple episodes. Um, I'm, I'm one of the few that liked General Barker. I think Ethan liked General Barker just because he was a, <laughs> he was a boss hog. But uh, yeah, General Clayton, Herb, Herb Voland as General Clayton is one of the better generals, I would say, of the of the series. Yeah. Um, and I think but, he uh, sticks around the longest, too. I think he is one of the more regular recurring generals, because I know we get it. We get a bunch of one off generals that come through the hospital, but he is he is by far the one that is most persistent. Um, he tells Margaret that he would like to discuss this matter later. Uh, to which Frank chimes in, of course, sir, and he has to clarify it privately. Which, oh, 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 Margaret, oh, Frank. Uh, we see that the general parks his Jeep, uh, stating that it is a classic, classic move to store your uh, munitions and supplies next to hospitals so the enemy won't bomb it. We learned it from the Germans, which, all right. We, we have them making the argument that, hey, yeah, you might shoot down Charlie, but all that's going to do is escalate a situation that really isn't that big of a deal. And it, it's not an unfair point that Hawkeye and Trapper make that you're going to have real, real airplanes, real like Russian piloted MiGs and other bombers coming to destroy the, the, the camp and the ammo dump, which for someone who has no interest in the military or anything of that nature, they're kind of right. Like, don't... If, if the enemy's attack is not working, don't provoke them into... Don't, don't correct the enemy when he's making a mistake. I can't remember who that quote is attributed to, but I know that is a, a quote, and I think that they would be wise to follow it right now. And, and I find it interesting, Anthony, in, the, in this scene, um, apparently Henry's cigar lasts 24 hours. Apparently, he's smoking the same cigar for the entirety of the episode, uh, which, I mean, if only, if only cigars lasted that long. And I'll be perfectly honest, have I 
Have I smoked the same cigar once or twice over the course of more than a reasonable time frame? Yes. Oh yeah. But we're we're not gonna we're not gonna discuss that. Oh, uh, while we while we were talking, I looked up. Never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. That is uh, attributed to French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte. That I knew I yeah. knew it was a notable person, so I wanted to look it up. But good general. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there's a new Netflix series out about him. Yeah, I'm curious it, it, if it's any good. I, I think it's actually an Apple original series, which is the only reason uh, I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard like move. rave reviews. The only concern I, I have about it is it I think the total runtime is like maybe just shy of three hours. That is a lot of a person's life to tell in just two and a half hours. But yeah. you you'd be hard pressed to tell a whole life story and of a normal person in that amount of time, much less yeah. Napoleon. But it looks it looks really good. It makes you know what it kind of makes it makes him want to go back and watch the old uh, the old Waterloo movie because that's really good. The yeah, but anyway, that's a, again a whole nother conversation for a whole nother time. But so, I digest. No, you did. That's not all right. Anyway, moving on. Five o'clock. Charlie returns. The gang takes cover behind a large rock, which I am determined to find that rock when we go out to the, to the film site. Because that it's will be a trip we make. There. Oh, there's no way they get, didn't get rid of that rock. Um, heck, that there's a burned out Jeep on that site that might still be the same burned out Jeep. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> Charlie, Charlie comes around, drops his bomb. And this is something that people like to point out. The Jeep was clearly destroyed before the bomb yeah. exploded and the fire exploded out from under it. No shit, it's Hollywood. <laughs> but... The general's jeep is destroyed, and I do kind of like that. That's the that's the thing that tips uh, Clayton's scale to. Yeah, you're getting the gun. Fuck that guy. <laughs> that's such a realistic. Like, yeah, everything you guys are saying makes sense, but fuck him in particular. I'm giving you a gun. We get our beautifully timed commercial break, and we're back to this scene. This scene, much like the. Uh, the scene from the last episode where they're all at breakfast and just being cringy as hell. Frank trying to be in command of armed troops is uncomfortable. Frank, you should not be given any sort of authority, but yet here you are. Uh, he has a detail of three South Korean army soldiers. Uh, I did, again, going down the rabbit hole as I do, I have some information on some of these actors. Um... The gentleman who is the squad leader is an actor by the name of uh, James Sato. You have 100% seen James Sato in a number of movies and TV shows. He is he, a lot of bit parts in a lot of crime shows, actually. He's a lot. He'll come in as a witness or as a reporting party or as a suspect um, in a lot of crime shows. Uh, he was the original Shredder in the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the, the voice of Shredder. And huh. the thing that I most recently know him from is, I don't know if you guys get the same suggestions on your like Facebook that I do when I'm scrolling through, but a lot of people post like condensed versions of like crime shows. So like NCIS, Hawaii Five-0, Law & Order SVU, they'll just trim out the commercials and trim out like the the dumb like character development for the detectives and just show you the the progression of the actual 
detective work for that episode. They suck me in every time. I spent two hours watching uh, condensed versions of NCIS last night. But one of the clips that came across just by coincidence in the last couple days was an episode of Hawaii Five-0 that James uh, Sato was an actor in. And the plot of that episode was kind of cool. James played a... um, uh, a character who was a child in one of the internment camps in Hawaii who saw his dad get murdered by a camp guard and tried to murder that camp guard in modern day at a at a World War II like commemoration thing. So there was a whole investigation of what happened back in the 40s and going to talk to veterans. It was kind of a cool episode, but yeah, that's James Sato. And then one of the other soldiers is Lloyd Kino. And the only reason I pull him up Oh, what did I pull him up for? There was a specific uh, there was a specific thing that he did that I wanted to mention. And I can't find it anymore. Oh, of course. By coincidence, he's also uh, plays a Japanese soldier and a veteran of the World War II in one of my other favorite uh, World War II related episodes of a crime show. Uh, do either of you watch NCIS or have watched NCIS? Oh, of course. Do you remember the episode where the the Marine Corps vet comes in with his old Colt 45 and says, oh, I committed murder with that? Is that the one where he was the Medal of Honor? Yeah, the Medal of Honor recipient guy. Yes, Uh, yes. Uh I believe the uh, gentleman closest to the camera in the squad, don't quote me on that, I can't quite tell based on the face. It's one of the other two soldiers is the actor who played the World War II Japanese veteran that they brought in. To kind of okay. do the the mock battle scenario to jog his memory, so yeah, the mash actors end up everywhere. So, thank you for allowing me to go on a tangent of these fabulous background actors. So, so can we go back to the firearm for a minute because we're we we're going to go have back something to the firearm. <laughs> Please. I'm, so I'm watching it. I'm watching it along with you, and you have not gotten to the part where Trapper, Radar, and Hawkeye show up, but. In every scene, including where I have stopped to wait for you, Frank has his 1911 in his holster. Okay, so he did find his gun at some point. Good. Yes. Thank you. Good, Frank. I choose to believe he had to go to the armory and get a new pistol every single time. They just keep hiding it too well. They just keep rotating it back through the armory? Probably. Probably. So, Frank, Frank says that he will be the for the purposes of their demonstration he will be the platoon commander uh james sato's character will be the platoon leader uh the second man will be the squad leader and the last man will be the squad <laughs> which frank that's not how this would work but okay uh as he's getting ready to well he, he i frank makes an ass of himself so unnecessarily uh, he explains that the enemy attacks foolishly, same time every day, with no element of surprise. Uh, the man does not possess an ounce of cleverness, and I'm gonna argue this is the first little bit that we get of racist Frank. We haven't really gotten racist Frank yet, but this is the first drop of it. He says, and that shows you the limitations of oriental thinking. Ha <laughs> ha. Looks at James Sato. Long, awkward silence. <laughs> Frank, why do you do this to yourself? <laughs> and it's, and I, again, I'm laughing. Obviously, it's not funny because Frank's being racist. It's funny that he gets caught 
immediately by the dude just looking at him like, what did you just say? And Frank has to like backpedal and and just no move offense. on. No offense. I love how he just goes, no offense. Frank, why do you do this? And then the single best gag in MASH to date. I'm going to say something that only only Ethan's going to get. I know what you're going to say, or at least I have a good idea. Staff flags. Yep. <laughs> we've me- I think we've mentioned staff flags once in the podcast, but for those uninitiated. Obviously, at a Boy Scout summer camp every morning and evening colors flags go up in the morning, come down in the evening. The staff is that's also where the staff gives their daily announcements for what events are happening in camp. All that jazz. Every day, morning and afternoon, every day, every week of the entire summer, we do this. Until the last Sunday that we're taking down camp, where there are no scouts present. We still do flags. We still do a proper and respectful flag ceremony. Once those flags are down on Sunday evening, or Saturday evening, the Saturday after the last group of scouts has left, the gloves come off and people are allowed to make, as long as it is PG-13, we had to implement the PG-13 rule for reasons. It's no holds barred. You can come dressed in costume. You can make any announcement you want. You can rant about stuff that happened that summer. Uh, I think the first year that I did staff flags, I did an Arlie Ermy drill instructor impression and just roasted every single staff member on the rock. Uh, yeah, it was a fun time. It was it was very it was one of the most mash it was one of the most mash esque things we've ever done at camp and I loved it. For 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 those of in the audience who don't know what I look like, this won't be as good. But Anthony uh, might recall, and Greg knows what I looked like. My last year, I went as a hula girl, complete with coconut bra and grass skirt. Oh uh, God, good times. Oh, oh yeah, we had we had everything from. Um, like that someone was wearing a Soviet officer's cap like Scott has there was there's people wearing their uniforms backwards. Uh, there were two older staff members were smoking cigars on the rock, like definitely, definitely. Definitely not stuff you would want to do at a normal day of camp. But yeah, it was a it was a very nice way to cap off the summer. Let that last little bit of steam pressure out of the safety valve, so to speak, and just have a good time as we finish putting away camp and then people took it too far and it got ruined. So want, want, but in the spirit of staff flags, we have trapper Hawkeye and radar marching out in uniform, quote unquote, uh, to participate in Frank's drill. Uh, we have trapper doing a very, obviously a caricature of general MacArthur. We have radar with a yardstick and an M2 helmet and Hawkeye in his officer's dress tops, along with his uh, beret, or not beret, I don't know what you, what, what do you call cap. that kind of, crush cap, thank you. And his and nine iron, uh, and a cravat, yes, the cravat, honestly, the cravat makes it, it sells it. Another thing that happens uh, each week at camp is the staff marches, we march up onto the rock for flags, we march when we do the colors, and then we march off the rock after flags. And the, the gag is the march gets a little bit more ridiculous each time with different commands until Friday, where whoever is in charge of giving the commands just loses all semblance of control. And we do kind of like Hawkeye and Ray are doing. They'll say, 
left face march and both the color guard and the staff will left face and so now you have two groups of people walking the wrong ways it's it's hard to explain but easy if you've seen it to understand what i'm saying but yeah they're they're right facing left facing reverse facing and they end up facing the wrong way and to ethan's something ethan said to me the other day the fact that we did not somehow find a way to incorporate cut that out face into uh our staff marching routine is an opportunity lost oh, and i i almost want to go back to camp to implement some of the some of the goofiness in this scene because it's i would so it's just good physical comedy i would bet money that if we had a time machine and could go back to see what inspired all of the bullshit that we did during flags this would be a huge contributor i this would one i would scene. be here i would love to go back in time because uh, the camp we worked at, Camp Winton, was founded in 1958 and has been in operation continuously since then, unless you count 2020 COVID, but we technically still did virtual stuff, whatever. I would love to know how many MASH references made it into camp in the 70s and 80s. I would love to know, because I'm. there's no way... I've drawn so many parallels between camp and mash that there's no way that some of that got brought in. In fact, I think there's a mash reference or two on one of the totems from that time period, but I don't remember what it was and I wish I had a picture of it. But yeah, I this this scene makes me smile every time, not because it's funny, but because it does remind me a little bit of camp and I do miss working at the camp. They come to attention and again, one of my favorite jokes in season two, count off. Are you one? one? Are you, oh, are, are you one? Yes, yes are I you? am. Are you? That's not funny. <laughs> Which again, MASH does this. That is what I would like to call a tasteful hom uh, homosexual joke. I think that is a funny fucking joke if you get it. I love it so much. Are you one? Hawkeye leans on his 900. Yes, I am. Are you? That's not funny because Radar's immediately uncomfortable. I love that so much. Uh, it's such a funny, funny joke, but... Uh, they count off, they're at ease, uh, Frank is not impressed and says it ill behooves them, which I think I use the term ill behooves specifically because of this line. He, Frank thinks it's, a uh, it's inappropriate to show a flippant attitude in front of our Korean allies. And again, Hawkeye points out, if you fire that gun at five o'clock, Charlie, you are going to make this situation worse. And again, I think Hawkeye's right. There is no way that shooting at five o'clock Charlie does not show that show the enemy that the mash unit is now armed and is more of a threat. So I, the fact that Frank isn't this is one of the first notches in making Frank a little bit ridiculous, because that is such good common sense that it seems so ridiculous that he doesn't consider it. But Again, I could go on about this scene for hours and hours. Do you gentlemen have anything else you want to point out while I get up and get a beverage? They have not yet lifted his gun, so that's yeah. Hollywood magic. Yeah, yeah Greg, I, <laughs> I, I'm glad you said that because I was watching for it like a hawk after you brought it up the first time. So that is absolutely Hollywood magic because he had his nine, he had his, his uh, 1911. And then all of a sudden, it's a plunger. And that's yeah. one of my best, my favorite lines. Flush him out of the sky. Hey, Frank, flush him out of the sky. Uh, so this episode, Ethan and I have been talking. 
spoiler alert, audience, Ethan and I have been talking a lot about trying to get some merch because Ethan, as you have, guys have seen from his Kimono Dragon sketch, Ethan's a bit of an artiste. Oh, shucks. And between him drawing and me doing graphic design, we have maybe 50 ideas for merch, some of which are sacrilege and probably shouldn't be made. I'm, you know, I'm oh, gonna, but, can I, but yes, they should. Can I spoil one of them that we have not said on the show, Ethan? Because I want oh, to make please, it so badly. Absolutely. Ethan, this is entirely Ethan's idea. He wants to take the Marilyn Monroe, the very <laughs> famous upskirt draft pose, superimpose Loretta. Oh, Swift's please tell me. Oh, I was going somewhere else with that. Say, and have it say, oh, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Which, you were going to superimpose Klinger on that one. I. Por que no los dos? Um, well, we'll do a special run of Greg merch. Greg, just for Greg. The just for Greg oh. line. Oh, trust but, me, I have enough merch ideas for my own show. I think, <laughs> I think, I think this episode has given me like 12 merch ideas in the first 12 minutes of the show. So the boys march off. We then get a very interesting scene, and this is something MASH, again, a pro and con of the show is MASH tries little different things throughout the series. This is their first attempt at random man with guitar is in camp. This is the dentist Captain Phil Cord Cordoza, played by Corey Fisher, and he's just kind of this little guitar-playing dentist that the, the, the guys are chatting with about this whole Frank and Gunn and 5 o'clock Charlie conundrum. I like, I kind of like this. I like, even though he's a one-off character, I kind of like this little interaction that they're, they're, they're talking about the, the goings on, the, the, whatever the plot of the week is with someone who's not Henry or Radar or, you know what I mean? I, it's kind of nice that there's another member of camp that they can, that we're kind of getting the view of, even though he is a one-off random character. But, well, and uh, he also utters one of my favorite lines. Ooh, which one's that? Because almost Hawkeye everything he says, says is kind of nice. says, do you want a drink? Or something <laughs> of that nature. And he said, he's playing his guitar and he says, you know, when I left, when I left for the, left from the States, I promised my girl or wife, I would not drink or, or date another woman. And you hear, give me a blast, but a short one. I got a date tonight. <laughs> it's so good. And, but there's that beat. I, the thing that makes it great is he says, you know, I told my wife I would not have a drink or another woman until I got back. And there's that beat where Hawkeye and Trapper kind of reflect on themselves a little bit and go, oh, that's nice. Give me a blast. <laughs> just the timing is so good on the delivery from all, all parties involved. An interesting fact about Corey Fisher, which this will be fact number like 37 of damn, we should have watched the movie by now. In the movie, M Mash the Motion Picture, Corey Fisher is the man playing the guitar accompaniment when they sing Suicide, It's Painless. Hmm. He, is, he is the Captain uh, Banditi, I think is his name, something along those lines. If I can find it. Captain, yeah, Captain Bandini is the, the guy playing the guitar for the Suicide, It's Painless scene, which I point out because that's kind of the crux of... That's the intro for the show for all 11 seed. Like the song is so inexplicably tied to the movie and the TV show that. Yeah, I don't know why they randomly chose to bring him in as this dentist, but maybe that's why just it, it's almost like they wanted they put him in as an Easter egg before like Easter eggs were a thing, but whatever. So they're chatting about Frank and his gun and 
Captain Cordoza drops a little bit of wisdom, which I will argue, without getting too politically heated, is some wisdom we can take in modern, in almost any time in history, but especially modern times. People like Frank are indestructible, and they always have been. You can't fight them. It's like the, it's like the, the, the saying: if you argue with a fool, he just brings you down to. They bring you down to their level and beat you with experience. I kind of like his opinion that you can't beat Frank, so subvert Frank. You know, you you gotta you gotta get rid of the 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 carrot on the stick that Frank sees. I kind of I kind of like his like weird his weird nineteen fifties hippie dentist wisdom that he dispos- dispenses. Because mm-hmm. it is kind of true. People like Frank are genuine. They you can't convince them, so you gotta fuck with them. Uh, the only thing that take, has ever taken me out of this scene is the little guitar lick he plays at the end. It seems very... I don't know. There's something about that guitar lick that doesn't fit the 50s in my mind, but I'm also an idiot, so what do I know? All I know is that when I think of a dentist that would take a hit of Novocaine before giving it to me, it's this man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. He is my, I think he's my second favorite dentist that we see in the show. We, we've gotten two so far. We've gotten him and then the, the guy who uh, is trying to go home at the end of season one and ends up just fucking it up horribly. I say that's, oh yeah, that one. I was going to say, not Futterman, but that's a future episode. Futterman, Futterman's my favorite dentist because he's just, <laughs> <laughs> how can he not be? Yes. Uh, so we see Hawkeye and Trapper get an idea to subvert Frank's uh, playtime. They, requis- they requisition four dozen sheets from Supply. Uh, their reasoning is they've just met four dozen great girls. Um, and the poor, the poor nurse who's running the Supply Shed, she's just hel- she's helpless to stop them. Uh, they get eight, request 18 gallons of Mercurochrome, which is a... Uh, red liquid that I believe is like uh, similar to iodine. It's an antiseptic, if I'm yeah. my research is correct. Uh, so they obviously are hatching some sort of scheme, and we get the, the shower scene where, again, one of the many interesting drinking innovations we see on this show, Hawkeye and Trapper are sharing a martini from an IV drip bottle, which... Uh, <laughs> As I you do... It, I think this falls very firmly into the category of if it's stupid, but it works. It ain't stupid. But they realize that no matter how good their plan is, Frank and the universe can conspire against them and he can get lucky. So they have to, they can't just help Charlie hit the ammo dump. They have to subvert Frank at the same time. They have to essentially you know, re- make their plan redundant. So we, we see, we see them pack up. We see them get ready the next day. Uh, radar sets the clock back by a half hour and they get nurse ginger involved by very overtly stating she's doing the four thirty feeding for a patient. Uh, and they successfully trick Frank so that he can't get out there ahead of Charlie but of course, they can't uh, hide the fact that Charlie has arrived. Frank makes Frank, to his credit, comes to the realization of what's happened fairly quickly. Uh, so good on Frank. 
he goes sprinting out to his gun position. I've watched this scene over like four times in preparation for this. I don't think I can track with all the little jokes and gags that are happening in this in this scene. There's you have the Korean gun crew trying to follow everyone's instructions. Frank's Frank's trying to read out of the manual how to aim the gun. Trapper keeps handing him the manual back upside down. You've got Hawkeye and Trapper shouting out opposing numbers and confusing the gun crew. You have Charlie flying over trying to hit the dump at the same time. You got Henry <laughs> You've got Henry being like the mediocre administrator he is where he's like Frank complains to him there this is sabotage Henry. Oh Frank, I think that's a little unfair. Like everyone and is now just the, <laughs> Now the 72 hour cigar yeah, yeah, we're up to a 72-hour cigar that uh, Henry is smoking. Either that or he is chain-smoking one off the other of this box of Candela's he has. <laughs> Five o'clock, Charlie drops his bomb and hits the cesspool. They keep shouting out different numbers, and I don't know if it's by, by fate or by design that the gun ends up pointing where it does. I like to think it's a little of both. But I've uh, always wondered that, Anthony. Was it was it by faith or design that Frank blows up the ammo dump? Because <laughs> there's two ways you could look at it. Was it just by chance? Because no matter what, I think you can read it as Hawkeye realizes the guns pointed at the ammo dump by the way he, he doubles down saying, you heard him, soldier, fire, and preps, and, you know, turns his head and covers his ears. There's two ways I read it. One, it happened by chance. Hawkeye realized it and convinced and even even though the Korean soldier was going to point out, but it's but, you know, he says, but sir, he's clearly about to point out, like, I'm pointed at the ammo dump. And Hawkeye encourages him to follow the order or Hawkeye and Trapper intentionally giving low numbers to keep the gun barrel low. Either way, it doesn't matter because Frank blows up the ammo dump, which <laughs> of course he does, which also provides one of the other great line reads of this episode. Everyone just staring at the ammo dump exploding. Henry with his cigar in his mouth. That was a hell of a shot, Frank. <laughs> I love it. And, and Frank then, looks so dejected. I, there are a few times that I feel a little bad for Frank. This is one of them. He just feels so, he just looks so upset. And then I think, as you, as you pointed out earlier on the intro of Five O'Clock Charlie, I think it's also one of the best exits of a character in the in the whole series itself yes and there he goes folks flying the blue lady of the skies into the sunset we say aloha five o'clock charlie and return to our duties oh my goodness so yeah that's that's the end of that oh i love the, the let me remind you the hospital is open 24 hours for your dining and dancing pleasure which i'm pretty sure for the first like the, th the the whole three days we had a working PA system. I'm pretty sure one of the times that I had to make an announcement over it, I ended it with, as always, the Winton Lodge is open for your dining and dancing pleasure. No, I remember where it was. I did it at camp, but I also did it at, um, when I worked at Grocery Outlet, I would work the closing shift and you have to do the attention Grocery Outlet shoppers. The time is 9 p.m. and the Grocery Outlet is closing. We ask that you please bring all your uh, items up to the front so we can check you out as quickly as possible. As always, we'd like to thank you for shopping with us at Grocery Outlet. The store will be open tomorrow at 8 a.m. for your shopping and dancing pleasure. And people, you'd hear people giggle throughout the store. It's like, don't take life seriously, people. Have fun.
But um, we see the at the 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 button scene for the episode. Uh, everyone's reading their papers or medical notes. Uh, they realize it's been a few weeks since Charlie's been around. They kind of miss him. Uh, they ask Frank, "Are you still angry at us?" To which Frank responds in the affirmative, and uh, they they eventually get to Frank and say, "Hey, come on to the mess tent. Let's go get some food." And I love even after this episode and this early in the show, he Frank is still kind, even though he's the antagonist, he's still kind of one of the guys. Because even that, even he looks at them and says, "How can I stay mad at you too?" Like, I, there's this weird. We're entering the weird, like, gray area of is Frank a friend or an enemy or both? I don't know. It. it I kind of still yeah. like. Yes, Frank. Yes, Frank is both for now. But as as I've talked about on the show before, he does slowly become a caricature of just cartoon villain. But right now, he's still on that precipice but more on that in future episodes so after much longer than i plan to be talking about this episode we are at the end of five o'clock charlie and i will ask what do you guys think of this episode i i again knowing very well what the answer probably is go ahead ethan uh loved it favorite episode to date hands down when I think of what I personally believe MASH ought to be from what I know about the series and what it's trying to go for. It's this episode. Yeah, I have to, I have to second that. I mean, it's, this is by far in my top five for the entire series. And, you know, there's a reason why I'm guesting on this particular show because it's my, one of my favorites. So it is perfect. I do have to point out when we, when we initially talked about, uh, you coming on for an episode there is uh, it's five and a half years away still we already know one of the two episodes back to back you are coming to guest on oh, fade yeah. out fade in because oh, yeah. you are unabashedly as I think a lot of MASH, MASH fans are a big fan of one Charles Emerson Winchester the <laughs> third and I will no ask spoilers you, I will ask you is it fate, coincidence, or planning that you also are guesting on a show with a the second most prominent Charles in the in the entire series? <laughs> Is it just coincidence, or was this planned? Mm. It could be both. Who knows? Why not? Yeah, I I would love to give some sort of like deep, nuanced ref- retrospective on this episode. It, it's just a good, funny episode. There's no other way to, like, get around it. Like, what what do you want us to say? It's funny. Hawkeye and Trapper are working great in this episode. Frank and La- Larry Linville in particular is great in this episode. Uh, McLean Stevenson as Henry is great. Margaret and Radar get their little moments. Bill Christopher gets a couple little moments. Uh, something I did forget to mention, and it would be, again... Mortal sin of the MASH world, even though I can't find where he is. I know he's in the background. I can't find the specific shot. Uh, We talked last week that we have uh, Kelly Yamato uh, appearing in the background now, and she appears in the background of this uh, as Nurse Kelly. Uh, We have Roy Goldman, who who we see throughout the series, is in the background. But we get our first background appearance of Corporal Igor Straminsky, uh played by jeff maxwell who is 
by coincidence, a co-host of another MASH podcast called MASH Matters. Uh, I can't find where in the episode he shows up. It's got to be in one of the crowd scenes when Charlie is bombing, but he will be a frequently recurring extra character uh, as we go through the uh, the MASH series. He's in 83 episodes, so we will be seeing him again. Um, we ha- I'm, I'm not going to spoil this. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not going to spoil I'm going to spoil this right off the bat. This is, to date, the most audience feedback we've gotten on an episode, and there is Ooh. no way in the world I'm going to be able to read every single person's uh, feedback. I will read ones that are interesting and pertinent, but based on the scores I'm looking at, I think everyone's in agreement this is a good episode, but before we read the audience ones, Ethan and Greg, what would you rate... Five o'clock, Charlie, on a scale of zero to five. Greg, after Solid you. five. Solid, Solid five. five. Yeah. This is, uh, this is the essential five episode. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with that even a little bit. Ethan, what about you? Oh yeah, right, right there. A solid five. If even if I wasn't going to go with a solid five and say four point nine, I could only think of one or two things I could possibly nitpick about it. But I'm just not going to. Trapper gets to lead on some jokes. It's a good plot. It's it's funny. Five. Period. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I had five written down for this episode, like six months ago when I had the season two chart set up and ready. Like I'm just like I'm just gonna fill this in now. No need to wait. Um. Yeah. It's it's probably one of the best comedy episodes they ever did. Purely funny episodes they did. Um, I'll ask the question because it came up last week. Is this episode better than Tuttle? In my opinion. Okay. Greg? No. No. Uh, I happen to to enjoy Tuttle thoroughly. I think it's one of the funniest bait and switch episodes in any series I've ever seen. So, no. Tuttle, Tuttle ranks in one of my in my top 10 of the series as a whole. So, you know, no, these two sit equal for me. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Good. I don't know if you heard my Tuttle rant last, last week. I didn't, if you want to know the truth. Uh, I will say this. Tuttle, I, I'll repeat what I said last time without going into the whole diatribe I went into. Tuttle is a great episode. And I, I'll spoil this part of the conversation for you before, and you can go and listen to it later. Tuttle is IMDb based on IMDb rating. It is the second most pop, the second highest rated episode of all 251 episodes. Which Tuttle is a good episode. I don't know if it's second out of 251. It, it's not, but but you okay. know that's that's a poll and that's a yeah. pool of opinion, and you know you never know what that's going to be. Exactly. Speaking of pools of opinion, let's go to the pool of opinion. Um, I'm going to speed through these because, like I said, we this is triple the amount of the next highest amount of responses we've gotten. So I'm just going to power through them. MASH fans, 716, 5 out of 5. Episode has it all. Frank's paranoia. Hawkeye and Trapper working to stop him. Uh, A nearsighted pilot who makes Mr. Magoo look normal. (laughs) (laughs) Cameos from from Kelly, Igor, Roy, and Dennis. Great dialogue and setup. Perfect timing. Classic fun time. This lightsaber kills fascists. Five out of five. Truly iconic episode. Showing what the show could be and how it could be hilariously skewer the conventions of war and authority. Laugh out loud funny. Uh, 
We got a 4.75 from Donut Eater. Uh, Chief Smash, 5 out of 5. Uh, gonna have to agree with the crowd. Great mash episode. Classic mash episode. Uh, Hawkeye and Trapper in their dapper attire is iconic. Just, yeah, I, I don't think I'm gonna surprise anyone. 5 out of 5. 5 out of 5. 5 out of 5. 5 out of 5. Uh, we have a, we have one 3.5 out of 5. Uh, just not... Person said it just... It's really good, just not 100% in their wheelhouse. Which, okay. Um, That's fair. I will say, we did have one person on Instagram who said, kind of like how I feel about T Tuttle and a couple of the episodes people really fawn over, they felt the same way about 5 O'Clock Charlie. They said, this is not one of the episodes I enjoy. I think it's too goofy. That's fair. Honestly, I could see how someone would not like it. It is one out of the almost 30 responses we got, so I think... Oh. I hate to tell you, you're in the minority there. But, you know... Um, yeah, so I think everyone is more than a little bit on the same page with this. So yeah, that was 5 o'clock, Charlie. We talked for an exorbitant amount of time, but I kind of figured between Greg and I and Ethan that that was going to happen, so... There you yep. go. Enjoy this very long ep and for an episode that deserved the amount of time we spent on it, to be honest. It was there was some good little stuff to dig into, but is there anything else you guys want to say about MASH or Five O'Clock Charlie before we wrap this up? I don't think so. I think I'm good. Excellent. Gregory. Gregory, would you like to tell the fine people of the MASH world where they can find you and the Cigar Podcast? Oh, okay. If you want a shameless plug, yes. Um, shameless plug. So the Beyond the Humidor podcast is searchable on all your favorite podcast platforms, particularly Apple, Google, and the rest. We also appear on YouTube. Don't forget to like, share, and uh, subscribe on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, uh, Loomis Cigar Cartel. That is our parent group that runs the podcast. Also, please don't forget my wonderful host on the Best Care Anywhere podcast, like, share, subscribe, and listen wherever Aww. that platform is available. Oh, and I will, add, I will add the caveat for even if you're not a cigar smoker, go check out some episodes of Beyond the Humor because as the title implies, it's not just cigars. It's three dude, three, three guys just shooting the shit like they would in a bar or a cigar lounge or what at a barbecue or whatever. It just yeah, so happens if you want to hear that, shameless bullshit, we got it. Oh, yeah. But it they is. also have some very good insight into cigars and the cigar community, along with all the other ridiculous crap they talk about. It it feels weirdly, <laughs> it feels like the kind of podcast that you'd think the guys in the swamp would put on. Like like if they did a medical podcast, like yeah, they're going to talk about medical stuff, but they're all going to also going to talk about all the crap they pulled on Frank, what Henry's doing, who's dating who. Like yeah, they're going to talk about the main topic, but they're also going to talk about all the bullshit, and that's kind of what Beyond the Humidor does. So go check them out. It's also chock full of some of the best storytellers that I've personally oh, ever heard or probably ever will hear. So uh, you, oh, you, you can't go wrong. Thank you. Wait, I hear Scott's ego inflating. No. Uh, don't forget your father's, too. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> you, audience, if you go listen to that podcast and hear my dad tell stories, you'll understand why I talk for so goddamn long on the show. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Go, go look for a show called Myths and Badgers. It's in the uh 40s oh, era of the episodes it's one of the funniest stories that your father can tell good lord i'm sure we'll find an excuse to share it on this podcast at some point very anyway. likely anyway 
Greg, thank you for coming on. Uh, I know I know life's a bit busy right now. There's stuff going on, but we appreciate you coming on. I'm glad we could have you on uh, to talk about some mash. And again, if open invitation, if you know we have an episode coming up that you feel passionately about, please. Please, please, please uh, scream it from the heavens and let us know so we can have that. <laughs> That's a lot. I might become a very annoying recurring guest. <laughs> oh, no. Don't worry. I, 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 Ethan and I are the filters. We get to decide if you actually come on. But. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All right. Well, you know, we need to get Ethan on uh, my program, too, as well. Oh, any time, really. I would love nothing more. We can arrange the name, that. The name of that episode, Kansas, Why It Sucks, Volume 1. <laughs> in the beginning <laughs> and with that ladies and gentlemen thank you for if you made it through this what's craig telling me this damn near three hour recording i'm gonna have to somehow cut down into a length of time people want to listen to uh thank you for joining us we appreciate it and we'll catch you in the next one bye everybody Return to our duties. Let me remind you the hospital is open 24 hours for your dining and dancing pleasure.